Hello, I'm Jeff Lester and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress that is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Today, Graham McMillan and I are back and we're bringing with us the Oily Comics 2014 Summer Bundle Giveaway. Thanks to the mighty Charles Forsman and Oily Comics. Listen to this podcast for your chance to win. Also, listen as we dig deep into the final issues of The Avengers Run by Steve Englehart and George Perez, scrutinizing their treatment of the Beast, the secret origin of the Vision, Hellcat, Squadron Supreme, as well as a look at the end of an era at Marvel Comics. Plus, we also talk the first volume of Injustice, Gods Among Us by Tom Taylor, Mike S. Miller, and others, the recent announcement of DC royalties and revision in its treatment of colorists, and a quick round of shout-outs for recent comics in this extensive two-and-a-half-hour podcast. Semi-hasty show notes are now available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always... We hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeffrey Lester. Gramothy McMillan. Oh, Gramothy, I like that. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you, you finally found a way to extend my name. Yeah, I know. It's one of those things, like, I, it needs it needs that sort of extension. We should get some sort of, like... <laughs> it really doesn't. It really does not need that sort of extension. <laughs> some sort I, of... I just want to put that out there right now. German. Wrong. I, no, I appreciated the support. I'm like, I, I, I think it's just going to be the start. And then... By the end of the year, it'll be like it'll be like a it'll be like a you know a, a ten syllable name or something. Like <laughs> so it's gonna be like triple barrels or something. Yes, yes, exactly. Graymopathy Windsor Smith. Oh, nice. <laughs> no, no, we're not going any further down this road. This is great. I, this road is stopping right now. I, I feel I feel like I've simultaneously been like, great, Jeff, that's a great idea. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always impressed. It did you have like terrible nicknames like growing up, Graham? Uh, I did not. Okay, because I'm curious. Because whenever I've introduced the the idea of a nickname for <laughs> the you, very concept of a nickname. Yeah, you shut it down like nobody's <laughs> business. You know. I'm trying to think. Did I have any nicknames when I was a kid? I don't think I did. Ever? Really? No, I really don't remember. Wow, you were just like grim, huh? Yeah, I was. And that wasn't even when I was a kid. That was when I was in in college wow right uh, so... and that was because i've told you the story the uh, american girlfriends of one of my friends could just couldn't get my name right right which is common for us americans which is oh. tragic oh yes it is as i've discovered since moving here <laughs> it's very common yeah yeah we do not get it we do not get it um anyway so she went with grim and that stuff well and which is stuff, great yeah. because yeah that if ever there's a word to describe your personality uh, I think so. I yeah. try and live up to it. <laughs> you certainly do. You certain, and what a fine job you have, I have to say. I, I, I do my best. The the grim and gritty world of Grim McMillan. Uh, <laughs> I like how you adopted an accent towards the end. Yeah, there I was like, that's what it is. Grim McMillan. What, what, <laughs> you know, because, of course, I'm now intensely self-conscious about, like, probably won't come off as well if I say it wrong at this point, because, of course, we've only been talking for years. And But so I was like, uh, accent, accent work, you know, it's a yeah, little that, bit that, of vocal predestination, prodigious, I know what you mean, magic. Thank yeah. you, man. Seriously. It's supposed to be sleight of hand, which that was not. That was like someone like trying to like, hey, hey. 
That, that was your tongue giving you sleight of hand. <laughs> like, hey, Jeff, you think you're going to come off sounding smart? Fuck you. Exactly. I, I'm just going to fuck this up right now for you. That's right. The slightest of hands, the middle finger. Uh, um, Graham, we have a contest we should talk about before we get into the other exciting things that we're going to be talking about. Yes? We should, and I'm so glad that you brought it up, because let's face it, with this podcast, if you hadn't brought it up now, we could be half an hour into it before either version of where this was happening. Uh, Jeff, why don't you introduce the contest and, more importantly, explain how people can participate in it? Oh, yes. So, uh, the contest... Um, for those of you who did not catch this on uh, our, our um, entry on Wait What podcast, uh, I want to say today, but of course that's a typical non-Doctor Who watching mistake. On Thursday, um, June 26th, uh, Graham and I... June. Well, because I really was. I'm like, <laughs> June. I really am. I'm bad. The June and July, July months. Yet. Yeah, <laughs> Junuli. Uh, always screw me up. Uh, so, yes, today, June 26, um, we announced uh, that we have teamed up with the uh, mighty and fantastic and gracious and wonderful Charles Forsman to bring five listeners of this podcast uh, each of them will be getting a copy of the just beautiful looking 2014 summer bundle from Oily Comics. Um, and uh, gosh, I feel like this is one of those like, oh, why didn't I bother to actually like have that page prepared so that I could talk about it? Um, so Ch- Charles Foreman, as you guys all know, did The End of the Fucking World and which I adored and I, you know, I actually haven't read the other book from Fanta, which I absolutely have to do. Oh, which is, I, see, I was going to call it Endless Summer, and I think I might be getting that name wrong. It's something, it's something with a summer. I'm like, Forgotten Summer, Endless Summer, like, <laughs> good old, good old Charles Foreman. Here yeah, good, we are, good, like, good old, ce- uh, celebrated, celebrated Summer. Celebrated Summer, yes. Celebrated I like it both. It's clearly Googled at the same time. Yeah. Uh, I have read it, and it's, it's fucking great. <sighs> I, 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 you know. I'm sure you're surprised, Jeff. Uh, remember how much you loved the end of the fucking world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll like this book. Uh, so anyway, that is out. I'm dying to read it. I'm embarrassed to mention on air that I have not yet. Anyway, uh, Mr. Foreman, who uh, we think is awesome, turns out listens to our podcast and was incredibly gracious when we started our Patreon campaign to um, get money so that we could... Uh, continue to do this podcast and sort of hopefully grow the Wait What podcast website. Um, he was super supportive, you know, was one of the early people to, to actually pledge money to us um, and tweet about it. And so uh, Graham and I were both just kind of overwhelmed by how incredibly great and supportive uh, uh, Chuck is. Um and so we kind of wanted to do something that could sort of support him back. And also, since we were feeling incredibly flush with the success uh, of our, our Patreon campaign, um, wanted to do something to also thank uh, our listeners and our patrons. Um, so uh, we, we contacted Chuck and asked him and managed to work out this great little uh, deal where He's doing this summer bundle. It's limited to 200 pieces. It's uh, print. It's several mini comics, um, 
two prints by Warren uh, Craighead and Billy Burkhart. Um, and this beautiful envelope that's been designed by Julia, Julie, Julia Grofer. I'm gonna, I can't believe I actually didn't bother to check and see how that name's pronounced. But on the other hand, I'm also surprised I'm surprised. Included uh, is work by uh, Daryl Seachick, Aaron Cockle, uh, Max de Redige. Wow, that's interesting. I was sure I was going to know how to pronounce that, and then I was afraid there was an L in there. Uh, Alex Kim, Sasha George, and Love Sucker Number 2 by Charles Foreman. 20, that's like, it's a bunch of comics, and we're very excited by the idea that uh, that we're going to be able to, to give away five copies to people who listen. So, um, uh, what do I want to say? Also, if you haven't seen it, um, Chuck, in order to promote this, drew a comic strip um, uh, in honor of this. <laughs> that really has to be seen to be believed. You, you really do need to, oh my God. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm sure you've seen it. But if not, I I don't even think that I can explain, like I want to describe the sound that my <laughs> jaw made when it hit the desk. But uh, it's, I mean, it really was a, an impressive, like it just about cracked the desk in half. Admittedly, flimsy desk, but you know, uh, it's still... I- yeah. Can I just throw this out there as well? Sure. I am very happy that uh, I came off as Batman <laughs> and you as Robin. I, I I feel very flattered by that. You know, this is kind of interesting. It's like Edie <laughs> saw that and she's like, so do you think you're the Robin to Graham's Batman? And I was like, I don't know how to answer that. You know what I mean? Because I, I don't really yeah. know. Yeah. Jeff, the, the answer is yes. Oh, 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 thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Let, let's just go with that. The Holy answer, supplied yes. answer. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I have to say that, that it, it delighted me, um, tremendously. And I, I don't think, I don't think I would have minded as much. Although, let's face it, seeing you dressed up as Robin would have been awesome, Graham. It would have been <laughs> awesome. And me as Batman, I could have had that beard thing. It would have been great. Um, That's true. I, I, I have to say, I am incredibly amused that um, I am drawn with the appropriate amount of ridiculous facial hair. Oh, yeah. I, I, this really <laughs> I, was I think that is worryingly, so worryingly close to the truth. Oh, tell me about it. Tell me about it. <laughs> that, As, so, yeah, this, this comic strip is actually up at waywalkpodcast.com. Yeah. So, again, the, we, we teased it with the first two panels, and today was the, the the full Monty, so to speak. It's it's the all three panels. Um, and so we were pretty delighted to have that and actually try and show that off. So hopefully you'll, you'll if you haven't come across it yet, please do check it out. As for the uh, Oily Bundle Somerset, um, we're going to give this out. We've got five of them. And here's how it's going to work. We are going to give out three to the first three people, or one each, to the first three people that email us as soon as they hear the phrase that pays. We're going to use, go fall back on that classic radio trope. There's the phrase that pays. As soon as you hear it, you write in. The first three people that email us each get a, uh, a, a, a summer bundle. Now, as Graham pointed out, not everyone is able to start listening to us immediately, nor do they really have the duration to make it through all two hours in a go, you know, and I think, I think I saw, I think I see Graham's point. So, uh, 
you know, people, we want you to be able to, to listen at your leisure. So for the last two, what happens is this podcast is going to go up. Oh, boy, do I hope that this is going to go up on Monday. <laughs> the Graham, do you want to help me out here? Is that do your Monday, math here, Jeff? Come on. The 30th. Yes. <laughs> Dude, I would that would never occur to me. I would have to say, like, that's always going to screw me up. And I feel OK admitting that because after it's, your little yeah, end of June, middle of June issue. 150 yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, I I, yeah. I am very bad with time as well. Uh, Monday is June 30th. And Thank hopefully you. when you're listening to this, it is after June 30th because the podcast went up on June 30th. Yes, exactly. So podcast goes up on June 30th. First three people who contact us with the phrase that pays will get bundles and then for an entire week we will be accepting entries um and then we will have a drawing for the last two bundles one will go to a supporter uh out of uh, our patreon um and one is going to go to just a freeloader basically some some <laughs> Dreadful. Yeah, that, yeah, that, that's how you should describe them, Jack. I know, isn't it? It's People great. are not supporting us. Definitely call them freeloaders. Well, you know, I don't, I don't want to slant these things unnecessarily. <laughs> and then there was the episode where Jeff alienated our entire e- Everybody. Everybody. Everybody else. Yeah, that's right. Like, I mean, really, let's face it. My trajectory is always <laughs> is always skewed towards the apocalyptic death cult, and I just want to I want to double down on making that happen. So, no, so, yeah, um, you have a week, everyone. So uh, basically, when email email in when you hear the phrase that pays. Yes, uh, you yes. will either be one of the first three, yes. or you'll be entered into a draw that yes. we will make after a week. Exactly. Where one will go to a, a supporter, a patron, a patron on Patreon, and one, like I said, just a regular listener. God love you. So two <laughs> things, very important. You're going to be, well, that's great, but where do I email you guys what is happening? So you email us when you hear the phrase that pays, email us at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. You can include the phrase in the subject line or not, but if you do not mind, and I swear to God, this is not a mailing list shenanigan hijink or whatever, but just to make it easy on us, please give us in the body of your email, along with the phrase that pays, the name of the person and your address. Um, I should mention that I talked with uh, Mr. Foreman, and this is an international contest. Um, We will be covering the uh international shipping so people who hear this who let's say that you are over in britain britain or you're in japan or you're down in australia or brazil you know you have an equal chance you you are qualified (laughs) you you just have to give us your full name information and the phrase that pays to waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com the second important part of this i'm sure you're wondering is what is the phrase that pays now here's i i this is going to hopefully graham will support me on this but i i I'm, I'm ready to support you whatever but i have to tell you jeff yes i actually don't know the phrase that pays yet yes that's what i was going to say is that i and i thought like oh this will be great i'll make graham guess it but not only would that just would make rampant confusion because then you would think the phrase would be one of his guesses and so anyway i thought 
that um, the mix of supporting classic comics and, of course, the person who really kind of gave us the idea to, to make this all happen, the phrase that pays is, you're a good man, Charlie Foreman. Um, it would help if you spelled his name F-O-R-S-M-A-N, but honestly, we will accept any spelling of that. The phrase that pays, you're a good man, Charlie Foreman. We're going to mention it at some point during this podcast as soon as you hear it. Just just jump on that son of a bitch. So, I'm, I'm going to add a, uh, an extra element in here. Oh, man. Okay. When you email in people with the phrase that pays, tell us when we said it. Put it in context so it's not oh, as if right. you just sorry. Heard Jeff yeah, that's say it. it. No. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's like, <laughs> "Son of a bitch, I'm in." Ding. Yeah. No. Sorry. That is. That's not applicable. Right. That is the point. You had. Sorry. Wow. Good, Graham. That's a good point. I meant to say that part too. <laughs> so yes, let's say that it happens. You know, f- five minutes from now, which you know, let's say that it happens at the very end of the podcast. Like whenever you hear it, like jot down the time uh, on the podcast. The phrase that pays, mail it in. So, yeah, that really is. Thank you for clarifying. I can't believe I forgot that part. I didn't write it down. That is why, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're professionals who uh, part of why we su- appreciate your help and, and patronage over the Patreon page is um, we. C- it's a miracle that we've survived this long. You know what I mean? Not maybe the podcast, you know, certainly, but I have to say the longer this thing goes on, which included us trying to put together like press releases and coordinating with Chuck, who is absolutely a hundred percent, you know, communicative, communicative and uh, supportive. Um, I just about lost my shit. I clearly am barely able to live in the world as it exists now, which is, um, a terrifying thing. So it's def- a good way to start a podcast, Jeff. Isn't it? Isn't it with this fearful admission? Like, please help me live. Um, yeah. So, uh, so I, I think we covered everything, right? So I, I think we did in our, uh, wonderfully muddled way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I have one more thing to say, which is not related to this, but was I related to this, which mm-hmm. is, uh, again, thank you to everyone who has contributed to and is supporting us through Patreon. Uh, we have had, since the last episode went up, we have had, again, a, an amazing response. And we're getting kind of, like, overwhelmed by it, to be perfectly honest with you. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, and everybody, like, by all means... Feel free. If you haven't donated, just know that you can donate and it will both delight us. Or if you prefer to donate and know that it will disquiet us, it's a win-win situation, really, for you. Exactly. You you can't do anything wrong at this point. Yeah, really. Pretty much. It's like we will be both delighted and incredibly unnerved. Um Just be glad you guys can't see the emails that we swap at certain points of the Patreon, which are veer wildly from the incredibly excited to the terrified. Yeah. Sometimes within the same email. Yeah. Oh, almost always. Almost always. <laughs> we, we've we yet to do it within the same word, uh, but certainly within the same sentence. Yeah. So, um, okay. So that, now you know the rules. Start listening. Rev your engines. Um, while Graham and I figure out what the fuck we're going to talk about now. I, I love that you said start listening. Guys, you've made it in 50 minutes, but now's when you should start paying attention. Start listening carefully. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> you know what I mean. Oh, man. Jeff, I will tell you right now, mm-hmm. right now, what we should talk about. Okay. 
you should tell me your Avengers things, seeing as we didn't finish it last time. Yes. Oh, my God. Okay. So we have to talk about uh, last time we did not get through to the end of Steve Englehart's run, which is uh, issue 151. I am going to – I insisted that we talk the shit out of this uh, before realizing that I had forgotten most of my major points and had to go back and dash down some notes. Um, I, I'm looking forward to your notes because I don't even do notes, Jeff. Well, I, I, yeah, I have to because otherwise you're actually really good at talking off the cuff. Uh, and normally I am too, but when I have things that I read and I want to make points, like w- when we did our uh, Defenders, our Steve Gerber Defenders read-through, I, I was amazed at the shit that, like, anything I brought up, you're like, oh, yeah, right. Um, so let, uh, whereas I had to, like, copiously, like, jot little shit fragmentary thoughts down at least in in a text um pad thing so uh the goal the plan was to talk uh where we left off um uh, which was around issue 141 through 150 but again because i did not do a good job of making notes i forgot there is an amazing thing that i noticed that i wanted to run by graham in the previous uh, n- not the previous storyline, but basically the storyline before the storyline. Essentially, for those of you who remember, around um, Avengers like 130, I guess, 3, 134 through uh, 135 uh, or 6, no, 35, and Giant Size Avengers number 4, the sort of the last of, the next to last of the, the Giant uh, Kang storylines. Um we learn finally the origin of Mantis and the origin of the vision. And I realized there was something that like clanged, like just hit me in the head, like a hammer when we read it. And I wanted, I want Graham, I want to run it by you. Um, Play, please do. Cause I don't, you've teased this to be twice now in email and you've still not told me what it is. So I'm super curious. Yeah. You, you may be incredibly underwhelmed, but, but maybe not. So check this out. Um, Steve Englehart is recounting the history of the vision in uh, Avengers 134. And one of the things I did want to note here is long-term listeners to the podcast, uh, and not even that long, like maybe within the last couple of months, may remember me losing my shit for Young Men number 24 from, I think it's 1953, which is available for some weird reason on the Marvel Unlimited app. Reading issue 134, I now have a theory as to why it is on the Marvel Unlimited app, because it is specifically referenced in issue 134. Englehart is so good with his history, uh, in recounting his history of the Human Torch, that just as he sort of brings up 50s Captain America um, to face off against the modern, well, the original Captain America over in his run on Captain America and the Falcon, he mentions uh, the Human Torch of the 50s, the storyline from the 50s uh, in Young Men 24, in which he is uh, resuscitated by an atom bomb. And in fact, it becomes part of the Vision's claustrophobia uh, is related to the things that he underwent as the human, as the original Human Torch, um, it, it, including the his uh, entrapment in his very uh, in his original origin issue, but also when the gangsters catch him, 
you know, extinguish his flame, put him in an airtight tomb and leave him in the desert until an atomic bomb basically sets him off and, and frees him. Um, he, I'm impressed that Englehart works that in, but to me, the even crazier part that I'm trying to hope that hopefully will blow Graham's mind is in issue 135. And again, 135 is one of those issues I had as, as like a, you know, 74, like an eight or nine year old kid. And remember reading, um, Ultron five has managed to get the body of the human torch back from, I think it's the mad thinker. Yeah, Um, it is. So after the, after the mad thinker has brought back the original human torch in order to fight the fantastic four in, I think an annual, uh, they mentioned this specific annual, but I think it's, I want to say it's like fantastic FF annual, like number four or something like that. Um, Ultron five gets the body of the human torch is tries to resuscitate him and, uh, is able to sort of repair the body, but is not, is only able to essentially do so much. So what he ends up doing is he hunts down the original professor Horton, um, the guy who created the human torch. He actually finds him at a, uh, TV repair shop in Stamford, Connecticut, uh, professor Phineas T Horton. What a name. So, um, uh, so how do I put this? So basically he drags in Horton, uh, and, and Horton says like, good Lord, it's him, my human torch. Um, and Ultron says he is mine now. And once you assist me in bringing him back to life, he will be mine for all eternity. And Horton says, no, you can't ask that of me. When I created him, I was a rising scientist. I thought he'd be my crowning achievement and my meal ticket. But my colleagues feared me, hounded me to destroy him. And when he escaped, I was ostracized by scientific society. And he never, ever returned to me. So, and he says, don't make me face him again. Not now. Not when I'm so old. And Ultron basically slaps him around and literally says, now get to work, my decadent Geppetto. Get to work and give me a Pinocchio. Which, again, is like one of those great, like, oh, like, oh Steve Englehart. Um, <laughs> so one of the things that I think is really interesting here um, is Englehart is really, to me, doing, like, I've always considered what he was doing in this origin story to basically be part of when we think of the cosmic stories of Marvel comics, like they come back to things like Jim Starlin, who of course, you know, Englehart was very close with and, and uses moon dragon from, from Starlin's uh, Captain Marvel run here later in the Avengers. Um, but we're also thinking of some of the more cosmic stuff that does end up happening uh, throughout the Celestial Madonna storyline. So I think of this story, you know, because while the Vision is doing this and we're getting his history, Mantis is discovering the rest of um, this whole, the origin of the Kree Scroll War, these plant warriors and all this stuff that's very much a, you know, holistic, touchy-feely origin of the of the quote-unquote real Marvel universe, right? So the thing that got me 
reading it this time because it, 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 the the thing about him about Horton saying that he was a, a rising scientist and now he's this washed up drunk um, twanged a chord with me because of um, Sean Howe's Marvel Comics The Untold Story. So you're seeing it as an allegory for early Marvel creators. Yes. More, most specifically, Carl Burgos. Carl Burgos is the creator of the original Human Torch, right? Now, one of the most, the story that really t- touched me um, in reading Marvel Comics, The Untold Story, and let's see if I can crack it open, is how um, basically his daughter has a memory of him in 1966, taking all of his Marvel collection work, everything, and he puts it in the backyard and uh, he basically sets it on fire. Um, He just threw it all out, whole pile of stuff in the yard, and she tries and save pages and he drags it back out and he tries, he tries to, he, you know, he basically destroys all of it. And then later on, he says that um, in, a, in an article in the early 70s with Batten Lash, um, Burgos tells Lash to stay away from what he calls the terrible field of comics. And he cites his own disappointment over the human torch. If I'd known how much trouble and heartbreak the torch would bring me, he told the young artist, I would never have created him. So mm-hmm. what blows my mind is, yes, that that somehow in the middle of everything else that that Engelhart is jamming into uh, his history of the vision, it's the history of the human torch. And it's not just it's the real history. You know, it's no meta history. Um, in fact, part of what sends uh, Burgos over the edge, supposedly, um, is the fact that in early August, after he's tried to file his claims and is trying to get, you know, because the the 28-year uh, copyright limitation was expiring on the original Human Torch, um, Lee and Kirby's Fantastic Four Annual Number 4 brings the character back exactly, it appeared exactly 28 years after Marvel Comics Number 1, exactly as the original copyright was expiring. The original torch, and this I'm reading from Howe's book here, the original torch had been revived just long enough to ensure their copyright claim, only to be killed again pages later. Well, let's face it, mused the thing, when Burgos's creation had been extinguished, you win a few and you lose a few. And so... And in fact, Lee had Johnny Storm, the last human torch standing, eulogizing his fallen predecessor this way. He tried to defeat me, and yet I can't find it in my heart to hate him. Revisiting this, I had forgotten that Burgos had actually, in fact, teamed up with Myron Fass to take out, to snatch the trademark on Captain Marvel. And so during the, when was this, the... 60s or something, the late 50s, um, they started publishing a Captain Marvel character, uh, which was a red-costumed android, just like the original Human Torch. And Burgos also introduced a villain named Doctor Doom. I'm sorry, this was this comic was from 1966, but uh, it, you know, 
the idea is that this was done very specifically to piss off uh, Martin Goodman and Marvel Comics. So one of the contexts that I find really appealing and interesting is the idea that Englehart manages to just sort of the same way that he can kind of sew up the Justice League, turn them, you know, not just the three characters that Roy Thomas you know, creates earlier on, but throws in all the rest of the characters before he, he leaves um, and sets them to fight the Avengers in, in Englehart's, you know, ultimate or penultimate storyline, depending on how you're counting, is he's actually able to take the literal uh, situation and weirdly transmute it. I mean, one of the things that I find is fascinating is Englehart plays this with a certain degree of... Um, it's not exactly what you would call co-creator sympathy toward Horton and slash Burgos, which makes me think that I could in fact just be entirely wrong about this. But I do find that it's really interesting that at the end, Horton's sacrifice, uh, which ends up having him killed by the more controlling mechanistic Ultron. Um, he basically, ends up, you know, saying like, I, I wanted to save you, you were my creation. Um, and basically gives the vision sort of the determination. Like he basically says like, now I know the love and courage that comprise my heritage. And now that I know that I have a heritage that I did not spring fully blown from Ultron's brow, uh, but was in fact one of the greatest heroes the world has ever seen. So, there's a really weird, and so a. I hope this quasi semi blew your mind because you're being very quiet. <laughs> uh, no, I'm listening. And what's fascinating to me is I didn't see Carl Burgos in there, but I totally saw Bill Everett in there. Interesting. Well, that's fascinating to me because because Everett came back to the Silver Surfer yes. after basically having been lost in the wilderness because of his alcoholism. Mm-hmm. The so I saw that. So sorry, yeah, the Submariner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, exactly. So like you said, it could well be all of them. The reason why I think it might be Burgos, apart from the fact that there's the literal relation, is the idea that there's a lot of element of greed that's being played up there, um, which seems as an undercurrent because Burgos was fighting for with money uh, on these situations. By contrast, if you read... The Marvel comics, of course, Everett is working for Marvel and uh, has essentially been paid, according to Howe's book, he got paid an interest-free loan by Martin Goodman that he never had to repay, essentially. So he was good enough to continue to get work and he got a payoff in uh, return for never pursuing the claims against Submariner. Burgos, by contrast... Um, Lee had brought him in, which I know because I was reading those issues, those really comically bad issues that, uh, of giant man that were, um, happening in tales to astonish or is it suspense? The Hulk title, basically when I was reading up on the Hulk, I was reading these books and it's clear they Lee was trying to get Burgos to do work again and had to just so heavily rewrite it. So to me, Everett is at this point in his career, although he's disappeared into the wilderness, he comes back and he is, you know, 
as these things go by the terrible standards of the comics industry, relatively successful. He's able to, <laughs> to, to, you know, write and draw stuff. And, sure. You know, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that you, you put the, as, you know, by the way, the comics industry handles these things. Cause, you know, let's face it. Yeah. His, his success was, uh, unsure. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But compared to Carl Burgess's, it was, um, oh, it was definitely existing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I, so A, this, this did kind of blow my mind. And of course, you being you, you're like, oh yeah, at the time I saw it as, but, um, but B, yeah, I saw it as someone else. I wouldn't have seen it with Carl Burgess at all. I think that's, I think you make a very good case. Mm. Especially with what happens to Horton. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that he tries to fight the system and is killed for it. Yes, exactly. He continues to, he can't bring himself to destroy the soul of his creation. But interestingly enough, I sort of wonder to what extent the, I guess the larger repercussions are maybe in terms of at a very, very sort of sub Rosa kind of way. Here is Engelhart basically saying that it, it's an, igno- <laughs> it's that, that there is, how do I put it? That the characters are redeemed by their creator's love for them. You know what I mean? And as they have this heritage that gets passed along, that is empowering. You is know what I mean? Is he saying that though? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure he is. I think he's actually saying the opposite. I think if you think about what happens to the vision, because Horton brings back the, the human torch. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's, it's very clear. Ultron says essentially, like, I expected you to wipe his mind. And he went, I can't. It's my son. But Ultron then kills Horton and wipes his mind anyway. So yes. Horton's actions are essentially useless. He, he, he tries to, he tries to, uh, game the system. He tries to work within the confines yes. of his master and do what he wants. And he's beaten down. And what really happens is, it is essentially luck that the vision discovers this. It, it's it's not Horton's doing. It's it's also not Ultron's doing. You know, they, right. Ultron does not control the vision in the end. And I think what uh, Engelhart is saying is not uh, that the characters are necessarily redeemed by the love of the creators, but that the characters are redeemed by their own existence. Well, how do I put it? Or rather, by knowing the history about them. You know what I mean? I, I guess that's what I'm saying is, is that, that Engelhart's belief in continuity, uh, a con- his, his continuity wonkiness sort of reaches its apotheosis in the idea that by knowing who these characters are and essentially by paying attention to the characters that you continue to let the heritage live forward. You know, because essentially Engelhart has taken this story in very Samistat fashion and woven it literally into the fabric of the Marvel Universe. I mean, the vision is in, incredibly out of fashion, I think, for the most part now. He's not nearly the, you know, uh, Marvel hero that he used to be. But at the time, Engelhart has sort of, you know, is at this stage and, and because Engelhart stopped, has been collected still since there's there is a case to be made this idea of knowing the history of having this sort of almost oral history of what's gone on and not just in front of the scenes but if you work it, it the the 
behind-the-scenes stuff in there, too, you are actually, like you said, I don't think that Horton slash Burgos wins. He does lose. But the idea is is that the characters themselves, like you said, can exist outside of the what anyone what anyone else can put them in you know what i mean like mm-hmm. neither ultron nor the creator controls them it's oh, sort the, of them and their continuity that controls them uh i i don't want us to drag i rather i don't want to drag us horrifically off topic mm-hmm. already but what you're saying really ties into a lot of what i want to say about injustice later oh okay, a, a great. lot yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 uh so let's put a pin in that and come back to when we're talking about injustice okay. that sounds great. um But what you're saying also is very much uh, Engelhardt's modus operandi. I mean, Mm -hmm. Engelhardt on every title that he took on that was Mm -hmm. a company-owned title after this Mm -hmm. does exactly the same thing, Mm -hmm. which is finds finds connections with the most arcane, obscure mythology Mm -hmm. of the universe in which they exist and tries to build upon that to move everything forward. And unlike other creators, even other creators contemporary to him, mm-hmm. he was never interested in keeping the character static. He always tried to push them forward, even in absolutely crazy uh, directions. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, he definitely does believe in this idea of forward growth into some really weird and interesting areas that I think, you know, um, that to me, of course, as I get older and fartier, looks uh, a little more palatable than sort of the the quiet constant retcon you know well it's it's kind of fascinating because you see Engelhart playing as much of a long game as he plays because he never really sticks around in a title past 40 issues or so mm-hmm. um but he always goes back he's always like i mean you see it in the avengers later on in in, in his run Mm-hmm. You know, he suddenly is like, okay, not only am I picking up threads from my own Amazing Adventures run with the Beast, which mm-hmm. is kind of a Marvel trademark. Claremont did the same thing very much as well. You know, my title got cancelled. I'm writing this new title. I'll just bring the story over wholesale. Yes. But he then goes back and he's like, okay, but, you know, no one's ever, no one's using the cat's costume anymore because she's turned into Tigra. Oh That's God. still lying around. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's this, like, and he does the and same. And Patsy um, Walker. Not just the cat, yeah. but Patsy well, Walker. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and he, t- he explicitly ties Patsy Walker into the Patsy Walker title. Yes. Not just the fact that she's guest starred in other Marvel Universe titles. He explicitly brings in the continuity of Patsy Walker, the series, yes. into the Marvel Universe to feed not only his amazing adventure runs that had come before, but also what happens to Patsy Walker and the Avengers. Yes. Yeah. Like, he, I, but, and he does the same thing over DC. I mean, the, the Manhunters. Mm-hmm. And oh, everything yeah. that comes with his Green Lantern run mm-hmm. is is going really going back into obscurity and then being like, yeah, but it's all connected and it's all connected in a way that drives all this forward. Yes. And it uh, he does the same when he takes over Fantastic Four many, many years later as well. Right. Or West Coast Avengers for that matter. Yeah. Yeah. He, it, it's what he does. Mm-hmm. It, it, you get a lot of writers these days talking about, you know, in our, you know, I took over Fantastic Four and I read every single Fantastic Four comic ever published. Mm-hmm. And now I'm writing Fantastic Four and all of the characters are acting out of character and it's as if <laughs> nothing has ever happened. <laughs> and Engelhart is like the opposite. Engelhart is just like, I've read all of them and I'm going to pick up with the most fucking obscure parts Right, and say, oh yeah, it didn't seem like at the time, but this is actually really important, and here's why. Yes, and here's why. I think that I think that is uh, God. I was gonna. 
Should have brought more water here, Graham. Would you like to pause while you go and get water? Yes. One brief moment, everybody. Graham, please make an, <laughs> a demolishing point while I'm gone. One second. I'm not going to make a demolishing point. I'm just going to point out that some of us professionals, not Jeff, obviously, uh, prepare beforehand. We bring some beverages with us, and we also put our microphone on mute while we drink them so that nobody can even hear us doing it. I have had so many sips of water during this. I've sneezed. You guys know none of it until I told you just now. Oh, really? Maybe you just like mute Because oh! I tried muting it, and then... You came back, and I was just about to bad mouth you again. Yeah, I, I've been uh, muting myself, sneezing <laughs> up a storm right. so far this episode. <clears throat> I've done that more. And the thing that's crazy is now that I finally have learned how to split us into, you know, two tracks, sync it, and edit it, I can... And let me tell you, it's one of the things that I find appalling. Episode after episode after episode, I have to mute me while you're talking because I'm sneezing, coughing, drinking, sometimes breathing, just really creepy, unnatural breathing. It's really disturbing. Um, you know, and yeah, your your ability to just mute, especially because we have the same headset. And let's face it, this thing is fucked up. This, this... <laughs> What can I say? Clearly your head is different, Jeff. I don't know what to tell yeah. you. Yeah, okay, first off, it's enormous, but even then, I just, I don't know, this, like, the stupid, like, little control box, like, not only if I, do I accidentally mute it once every episode, it usually hits me in the nads at least once during the course of things. You know what I love? People might be listening to this podcast for the first time ever because of this Charles Worms thing, and you're like, yeah, my headset, it just hits me in the nads sometimes. Yeah. Exactly. Best, best way forward. Best way yeah. forward, Jeff. All, at all times, Graham. So, uh, yeah, Englehart is kind of amazing that way. Other things I want to talk about, because um, we should move on to the rest of the stuff. Uh, one thing I did notice about, mm, well, let's just jump up to 141, because the stuff with the reintroduction of the Beast, Part 1 and Part 2, re-looking through some of it this time around, as people may remember from the last podcast, I jumped, jammed it in there uh, real early on, but I adored how basically Engelhart has uh, the beast. He set up the whole Amazing Adventures run where essentially the beast is kind of pretty much proto right on the edge of being a lot of the stuff that we end up seeing weirdly later on with Wolverine. You know, he's sort of a more grim and gritty tip take on the beast he um you know he's, he's, he's much more tortured he's much more generic marvel you know i can't but i must yeah yeah exactly but he's got a healing power and he's fighting back at his bloodlust uh and then when he brings him back in the avengers 137 he really has the beast chill out essentially and so here's the beast one of the discovered pods in between those stories. The beast has discovered pot exactly. He's like like that's in the text. Well, it's, it's it's as in the text as you can get as you can get exactly. exactly. But it, I mean, it really is. There's some mm -hmm. I can't even remember the line, but there is pretty much some line along the lines of like I just went off and you know found myself. Yeah, he's read some Castaneda, watched some old movies, listened to some Stevie Wonder. Like all, whatever all the coding was there for the in the seventies. Oh my god, I love that listening to Stevie Wonder. I do cool. too. Isn't that great? Uh, anyway, <laughs> it's, it's like, what are you listening to? Oh, I'm listening to songs in the key of life. You hippie. <laughs> it's it's 
kind of good. I mean, have you heard this album? Shut up! Stop trying to corrupt our youth. So I have to say, for me, one of the great big eye rolls um, back when Grant Morrison started doing the new X-Men real early on is he has the Beast tell Cyclops uh, that he, the Beast, is gay. He announces that he's gay all of a sudden. And he doesn't tell Cyclops. He tells, uh, he says it in public. Oh, that's right. And the next issue is, they're like, not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to say though, and this is one of the things that I think is really weird. Uh, rereading this, this time, because at the time I was really annoyed at Morrison's conception of the character that way. I was like, Oh, Grant, no, he's clearly, you see him partying with women all the time in his Avengers run. But to go back to this original part, there is a very strange, um, how do I put it, kind of coming out to the Beast. Like, there's a point at which, from the time that he's introduced through 150, while Englehart has him, the Beast is the most comfortable superhero in his own skin by far. And there is the idea that he has stopped pretending to be who he, you know, trying to put forth this idea of who he is. And and Mm -hmm. the big example of this is he talks about how he dropped all the big words that he was always overusing. Um, And now he's just... You know, he's basically the wisecracking Marvel character, but there is a little bit of his, um, when he first sees Patsy Walker and he's like, oh, my heavenly days. And then, of course, it's only another two issues before we get the absolutely brilliant, oh, my stars and garters. Um, and I'm not saying that those are... Right, you're into coded language today, Jeff. I really am. Well, because it really did strike me as I'm like, okay, so the Beast is basically talking like uh, Rip Taylor back in like 1974, loving his old well, movies and dressing up like old movie stars. And well, here, here's the thing: you you bring up the when Patsy Walker shows up, mm-hmm. and that scene is very much um, code for something. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's necessarily code for coming out as gay, but it's code for something because you have Patsy essentially trying to out him. Yes. Uh, a secret identity. And he's like, no, I don't, I don't have a secret anymore. I told people, who cares? Right. And there really is this weird metaphor for what are you actually trying to say here? Yeah, no. And it goes, it goes farther back because one of the things they talk about is a little bit of this. She finds him and nurses him back to health and they make this pact. And so, yeah, there is this way in which, um, yeah, in which this superhero is tied to Patsy Walker, this sort of girlish ingenue character where they have that kind of bond. And it's, it, it is, and it's, and it's, what's also interesting is, is that I also feel that 99 times out of a hundred, and admittedly, sometimes this is one writer will introduce this and another writer takes it a different way. But all that looks like it's going to be um, potentially a romance, I suppose. You know what I mean? And it never is. It's, it's never, it's, it's after all the mysterious woman on the doorstep, 
kind of things when Patsy does show up and she makes her demand. Like at every point, they're more or less kind of either bickering or teasing one another or jumping in to help one another, but they're never really quite. There's not there, that. There's no romantic tension. Yeah. Which... At, at any point. And he's, he's very clear on that as mm-hmm. soon as she shows up. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, which is, which is really interesting because you have that tension in Amazing Adventures. I don't know if you've read the Amazing Adventures run that Englehart did to set all this up. Right. But there is that tension in Amazing Adventures. Mm. Uh, and so you really do have this interesting switch that because it was Englehart that wrote that as well. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so when the Beast shows up mm-hmm. in Avengers, not only is the Beast different, mm-hmm. but Patsy's really different as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is clearly, you know, it's a different book. He's had some time. He's changed his mind. Right. But it's where he's gone after he's changed his mind that's so interesting. It absolutely is. It absolutely is. Um, I should mention, by the way, um, well, actually, I'm sorry. I thought it was the same issue, but I'll have to jump because she pops up in 140 and then 141 is where we get the the hop back in the West storyline. Yeah, it's – he's – I definitely – I'm pretty in awe of, to me, this final run with Englehart is – his it's to me it's like Englehart like really just sort of achieving like his apex and yet he is sort of sowing the seeds of his own destruction literally in these last 13 to 15 issues uh, mainly because between issue 136 and 151 there is three to depending on how you count three to four issues fill in issues over mm-hmm. over the course of 14 so um it it ends up it's kind of a shame to me that he continues to weave all this stuff um but it's it's amazingly ambitious and and just continues to build so he he tries things out mm-hmm. and then it works and then he he does it again but more so so you get uh when we were talking before about the the mantis storyline yes you have Engelhart playing with taking the team apart mm-hmm. you have mantis and the avengers in vietnam and you have the vision essentially often you know no pun intended a vision quest mm. where where he finds out who he is brilliant and, there's this sense where he is – you have to wonder whether, like, that pun was in his head and that's why he If did he did, he would have used it. I mean, I don't know if you've seen them, but there's so <laughs> many – like, most of the titles for his stories are crazy, crazy puns. I, I've got no, nothing against that. But anyway, so it, he, he does that and it works, right? Mm-hmm. So then you get to, uh, like, 140 through – I think it's 144 – and he just – he takes these team apart entirely. Yes. He's like, okay, so, you know – Thor and the Moon Dragon are going to end up in the past because of Amortis, and they're going to meet Hawkeye, who's been missing for a while. Meanwhile, you know, Captain America and Iron Man and the Beast are going to run into Patsy Walker, and they're going to end up captured, and then they're going to go to an entire alternate world. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have these two things going on. They will never cross over storylines. Yes. They will be entirely separate, and I will have them going on parallel and in a really entertaining way. Oh, yeah. So you have, like, in 142, you have the uh, Caps Avengers. Mm-hmm. captured and he goes i've got a plan 
and then you don't see him for the rest of the issue. And then 143, it picks up with him going, here's my plan. <laughs> and it's, it's stuff you only pick up when you're reading it all together. Yeah. But Engelhart is being amazingly playful. Yes. He is set, he's literally doing setup and punchline issues apart. Oh, yeah. In fact, the issue, like rereading this, I don't know if you noticed, but the issue, uh, the title to issue 141, uh, which starts off the Avengers, you know, the Caps team versus Rocks and Oil slash Squadron Supreme. Slash Justice League. Slash Justice League. It's exactly. a great Justice League. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, is one storyline. The other storyline is Thor, Moondragon, Hawkeye, and the old Marvel Western heroes back in the Old West. The title of the story for issue 141 is The Phantom Empire. Did you did you pick up on this? I picked up and it called the Phantom Empire. I, I I'm not seeing a, a the a fa- yeah the Phantom Empire is a motion picture serial from nineteen the nineteen thirties starring Gene Autry. He's a singing cowboy and it's a science fiction western. He's he's like a singing cowboy wow, who that's dis- a deep cut Jeff yeah, Lester slash Steve Englehart of nineteen seventy six. Yeah, no shit, right? There <laughs> is literally a, a, a secret empire underneath this like dude ranch that Gene Autry is on. So he's like it's 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 amazing that all he all Englehart really needed to do was co- co- figure out a way to have a musical in one of his other Avengers storylines, and he would have split it all into distinct parts. But I did notice it, that 141, it really is. He's doing a science fiction, and he's doing a Western. And that, yeah, I was like, oh, that's that that's pretty impressive. I yeah, don't know. well played. Indeed. That really is incredibly impressive. Yeah. I, I And also, I love that um, the Immortus storyline turns into another Kang storyline. Yes. And you've you've just had Kang. It's just really is because you've really just had Kang. Yes. So it's kind of a surprise that Kang comes back, you know, almost immediately. Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, and and what's fascinating is I don't know if you you must uh, if you followed this from the letters pages, but part of this is this was the this was the storyline that was going to be uh, Giant Size Avengers number five, but then the JS the GSAs got got canceled out. So he's trying to jam it all in there. And he also says at several points, because Thor basically is like, this is the end of you, <laughs> you know, and, and Englehart says like, seriously, I'm not where this is it. Like some, because he says some of the readers are actually complaining about too much Kang, the fact that Kang keeps coming back. But, well, but, but that's just it. If you read them all in a one or like this, Mm-hmm. You really are just like, it's fucking Kang. Yeah. Haven't yeah. I just read a Kang story? It's kind of amazing. But I also love, like, I love that because oh. you think of Kang as a time traveler and you never see him basically be like, okay, I lost. I'm right back. And by the way, I've been away for years training for this. Exactly. Like, I and love that never that. happens. Yeah. And yeah. I, I love, I love that Englehart really just does that. He's like, okay. He's a time traveler. He could just keep coming back. He could come back minute after minute after minute just to completely screw you exactly. up. Exactly. Exactly. And so he does. He basically shows up. It's, you know, something like two years of Avengers time in this. I mean, you know, it's like, I don't know, three weeks of Marvel time or whatever. But in terms of the title, how long it's going on and how many times he keeps bringing him back, it is 
It is, I, I do, I love it. It is, it is a thing that as a kid, it didn't bore me. And of course it also just re- like, it also has that weird proto graphic novel type feel because every time he brings him back, like there's another level. In fact, it's interesting to me. I would, I would arguably say that this last appearance of Kang in its way almost feels the most perfunctory, I suppose, because it at every other appearance from two, three and four, he is in his time travely type way. It's tied to the self-discovery of these various characters. And then in four, it's the resolution of it. You know, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is fascinating to me about this final storyline is while Thor is in the West, he is Moon Dragon is basically needling him, saying, "Why are you in the Avengers?" Like, so this is this is like I want to talk to you because I thought you know I grew up around gods. I here I am hanging out with a god. Why the fuck aren't you hanging out with other gods? Why are you just slumming? You know, mm-hmm. and, and and as that's going on though, I mean, just a couple of issues previously, you have the other Avengers kind of ask similar things. They don't phrase it in that way, but Mm -hmm. there's very much a, hey, Thor's back. That's kind of weird. Yes. Why why is Thor here? Why is Thor hanging out with us? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. Absolutely. Like, what? Why? And so I love the idea that Engelhart, like, at, like, sort of subliminal, like, ask that question, then has Moondragon really push it. Also, do you remember, just to jump back, unfortunately, back in time, to the introduction of the Beast and Moondragon, and they're fighting the stranger who really is not what he seems. Um, the weird stuff with Thor and Iron Man, basically Iron Man's sexual harassment of Moondragon is really weird. Did you Did you pick up on that? I didn't, and you've made me kind of want to go back and take a look. <laughs> you should, because there's really this thing where they're both kind of, uh, how do I put it? Like, Moondragon's like, I know you guys really enjoyed the company of Mantis, and you think, and you, I remind you of her, oh, yeah, I'm no, not Yeah, I, I, I remember that. I don't remember explicit sexual harassment. So what I remember happens- Iron Man is, is very much, hey, girl. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's it. So they end up in a jet flying somewhere after all this, like, um, God, where is it? Am I going to Ridiculous find... Ridiculousness and Strangers. It's got to be uh, 38, right? Yeah, one, 138. Let's see if I can find the scenes where they're when they're in there. And, and it's great because Iron Man goes from, like, oh, this is great to, like, man, I hate this woman, you know? Um, so what happens is is that they're splitting up in their different directions, and Iron Man says, "Sure, Moon Dragon and I can take the point." And Thor goes, "Nay, thou art needed here to operate Anthony Stark's devices. I shall enter the lion's den with Moon Dragon." And Iron Man's like, "Wait a minute!" And Thor says, "Thou hast been with thine employer too long, Iron Man. Thou dost love the ladies near as much as he." And and so basically Thor is saying, like, you need to stay away from the w- women and tuck it back in. And and Iron Man I, argues I, that, with That it. comes back to the next issue. Because do you remember the next issue is uh, the Wasp is 
in hospital and, and they have to go and, and search out what's happening on. And Iron pretty much is like, okay, you got Moondragon last time. I'm getting her this time. Yes, Adios. sorry. Yes, he does that. Right, exactly. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of because I'm looking at him like, oh, no, she's in the Quinjet with Thor. So, yeah, they're, it's totally like – he gets her, and then there's something that happens. I don't remember what happens. Hold on. Oh, yeah, yeah. She, she um, yes. Uh, it's going to be a long flight, Moondragon. This is Iron Man talking. So we'll finally have a chance to get acquainted. I'll have to admit that even under the circumstances, I've been looking forward to it. Yes. My armor may be iron, but there's most definitely a man underneath it. And you're an extremely striking example of the feminine. Yeah. Yeah, dude. <sighs> So, yeah, here's Iron Man sexually harassing Moondragon. <laughs> and then he gets pissy later. I'm seeing the later uh, scene yes. after she turns him down. And he goes, follow my chest light, priestess, unless it's too suggestive for you. <laughs> <laughs> Iron Man, oh. That's what, I also like that about Engelhardt's writing, in all seriousness. He writes characters as dicks really well. Mm, mm-hmm. And he, he is unashamed to be like, you know what? Iron Man's a dick. Yeah. I he mean, Thor's, Thor's a bit of a petulant kid. In mm-hmm. this, when he doesn't get his way. But Iron Man is a straight-up dick. Yeah. Although, as as hopefully this is not your first time at the Wait What Rodeo listeners, because if you've listened to us do these other uh, Avengers recaps, you know I'm obsessed with what a dick Captain America is in the early issues um, under Stanley and Roy Thomas. And Englehart, for the most part, writes an incredibly good, like, what I think of as the Captain America. But he brings him back in the Avengers and gives him one of the all-time, like, the the probably the best Captain America dickhead move of all time. Do you, do you know what I'm talking oh, about, Graham? It's the Hellcat one, isn't it? Yes, it like, is the oh, best. Oh, it's so great. Uh, Jeff, you'll have to explain this to the listeners because people who have never ever read these stories this is possibly the greatest superhero is a dick move in comics yeah yeah it's definitely up there so it's it's issue 144 uh of the avengers cap iron man and patsy walker are basically wandering through the storehouse of rocks and oil after they've managed to escape like being held in a terrifying death trap or whatever they're they're trying to make their way out and the warehouse is pretty much sort of posited pre raiders of the lost ark as a storage area where rocks and oil has just bought up so much stuff just because they can essentially and they turn a corner in all these um as uh cap and iron man are basically bonding more or less ignoring patsy walker who's in the background being like hey you guys don't go so fast and and iron man says like patsy you catch up to us are all personally what in the world and they turn the corner and there is the cat outfit that is sitting which, there which on I, top of the i box. kind of love because it is literally just laid out ready yeah. for her to have yeah Exactly. Uh, it on a crate. <laughs> yeah. They're like, yeah, we, we store all our things in crates apart from this outfit, which we've laid out ready for someone to put on. Yeah, totally. You know, and the worst part is I totally know that Englehart, if had, had given his chance, would have done his Invaders Annual number one with like, God only knows what character it would have been where he would have, you know, they would have ended up placing that out there. So you get a, 
Iron Man recapping the history of the cat and nobody knowing what happened to this strange superhero. And we, of course, know that she became Tigra, which I only now realize, oh, God, and she becomes the centerpiece of the Avengers weird dynamics later on. Um, oh, and, and when uh, Engelhardt takes does West Coast Avengers, she is a, if not one of the major players of the team. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, so basically they're like, Iron Man looks at Cap and says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And Cap says, I'm way ahead of you, Shellhead. I'm examining this costume. It's in perfect condition. Miss Walker, could you play Cat? And what follows is a great double page sequence that is Patsy Walker's story told in the first person that tells her entire history. And in fact, I don't know if you, I'm sure you caught this, but the very first panel, which has her like surfing a wave. That's uh, Perky Prince by Alice Hartley of New York City. So good. Which is really, really good. Yeah. So it has her, and I'm actually, I'm kind of realizing now how much some of this stuff Bendis, because essentially she's like the all-American girl who all she dreams about is becoming a superhero, and she's got a huge crush on Reed Richards, and she goes Are to his wedding. Are you saying, like, Bendis totally ripped this off for Jessica Jones? Because yes. he did. Yes, exactly. And like, I never he really, really this. did. Yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at it now. I'm like, oh, holy shit. Like, he yeah, the it. origin issue of uh, Prism in Alias is pretty much these three pages of Avengers 144 turned into an issue. Yeah. Which I did not realize. I mean, to be fair, I'm going to, I didn't actually, this was one of those, it's weird. I apparently, I'm starting to think I only went to the comic book store or to actually the supermarket where I bought comics. Like I was not any, like I was, must've been going something close to bi-monthly because I have like every other issue of the Avengers in here, which is <laughs> driving like, me crazy. I remember this issue. Yeah, I, I know I didn't read it, but yeah, like, so reading it now, I'm like, holy shit, Bendis, wow. Anyway, so Patsy Walker, she ends up marrying her boyhood, boyhood, her boyhood hero. He ends up being a complete and utter dickhead. The Beast ends up at her door. She brings him in, and and she ends up helping him, and she says very specifically that she does it just so that she can become a superhero. And so, and it literally has her like, I ran him down, threw our pact up to him, and now Captain America asked me if I want to be the new cat. And she's, yes, yes. And the very next page, it's awesome. Is Captain America going, no, I'm sorry, I've changed my mind. This is... That's, that's not a power phrase, by the way. That's exactly Cap's dialogue. He yeah, literally... He... Three pages later, it goes, no, I'm sorry, I've changed my mind. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh. And, of course, being Cap, she spent three pages. She's literally talked about how this is her life dream. Cap turns around and says no. And the great part is it doesn't even have anything to do with the fact that she is like, oh, you know, he's not like, oh, the moral turpitude involved in trying to blackmail someone into making you a superhero. He's like, no, 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 I couldn't do it because of what happened to Roscoe and Bucky and Bucky and Roscoe. And I'm just, for people who don't know the Englehart run, Roscoe's the guy who becomes Captain America and gets his ass killed after Cap quits to become the Nomad. Um, oh, no, spoilers for a comic from 1974, I guess. I was going to say, interesting spoilers. Yeah, exactly. But this is, it is the greatest Dick move. I laughed so hard because I hadn't read this issue when I saw this. I was like, 
I just think oh, that that it's is absolutely fucking hilarious. Yeah, it's it's the greatest thing because it's like Captain America has just asked, asked me to fill my dream, and then he's like, ah, uh, no, 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 no. Because no, also, no. if you think about the fact that this flashback would have happened instantaneously, mm-hmm. literally, Cap's gone. Would you like to play Cap? Uh, Cap? No. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He just turns on a dime. Total, total dickhead. It's probably it's so great. Yeah. It's so, and what is also great is that Patsy saying like, "No, <laughs> you don't get to say no. You yes. just asked." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, there's probably something really interesting going on that that Engelhart is trying to do with uh Patsy and the Hellcat. Oh, um, uh, there's definitely groundwork there that is never followed up on. Yeah, because he's off uh, because the book really she too. gets the costume. And all of a sudden, her personality changes, and she has superpowers. Yeah, well, the, which that, which is is pointed out more yeah. than once, and is never explained. Yeah, and I think the idea is it may well be a sort of situation where, God, and I think it's probably a good thing that Engelhart never went here because I think it's possible that Engelhart is might have been going for a the people from Rocks and Oil needed and this is i mean it's a classic avengers trope the new team member who's actually the betrayer you know and i think it's quite likely oh, you think that's where he was going i don't think that was where he was going at all i think i think the idea is is that the outfits put put out there patsy is able to suddenly be a superhero the suit, it's like the suit is doing everything for her. And I think maybe Englehart was going with the idea of the suit is actually doing everything for her. And she is a, a, a plan. Along to the right. Yeah, that is going to be there maybe both to drag out information on the Avengers and or betray them, even though she has no wish to. But the suit is going to change her sort of the way that you've had other, you know, personality changes go on um and also there because there's also something that's very strange about uh patsy's insistence at three different points through Engelhart's run through the 13 issues that she's in that she is not a feminist and i kind of wonder if Engelhart was moving towards some sort of like uh, how do I put it? She becomes a feminist as she puts on the outfit and she becomes, you know, she becomes enlightened, but essentially that Engelhart is sort of going to be pushing some sort of weird screwy, like, Oh yeah, sure. Women's enlightenment. That's super important. The corporations want us to have that so that we all turn on each other and bicker all the time. You know, I don't, I don't know for sure that uh, that's where he's going. I, I, I God, he's not. Uh, see, but... I, I totally think that you're, you're, bringing that to it i i think he was going for a much simpler version of that which is the costume did empower her she was going to become a feminist through that but that there was no nefarious the corporations want you to do it i think he was going for a straight up patsy was not a feminist because she felt she had no power then when she had power she began to become a feminist yes and i think that i think that uh, i I thought so too, but all of a sudden on top of the, oh, but it is just sitting out on top of the crate. And there is a yeah, I I, of... I just took that as like really shitty storytelling to be honest. Yeah, but see, and this is the great thing with Engelhart is he will tell stories like pig slop and then later on he'll just sort of weave stuff back into it. So sometimes he has master plans, sometimes he doesn't, but insists he does. Like this is something I was talking on the 
on the um, in the comments actually over at Wait What Podcast because uh, somebody, gosh, was it Brendan? Who's uh, I'm sorry, whatnot, who took the time to point out that they had mentioned how Engelhart had talked about how his um, how spontaneous his storylines were and how little he planned ahead and that how he never intended Mantis to become the celestial Madonna and stuff. And I, I basically, I basically said, I don't really think that Steve Englehart is the most reliable source. Um, oh, no, Steve Englehart is officially the most unreliable source about Steve Englehart's work. And for anyone who doesn't believe me, go to steveenglehart.com and read Steve Englehart's impact on the comic book industry. Clue. It's much bigger than you or anyone else other than Steve Englehart might think. <laughs> so true. Um, so let me see. The other thing that I love is, um, well, I love that during it basically between 141 and roughly, gosh, I don't know. It's like 149. That's the real. real storyline runs all the way through 149 not helped by the fact that there is a two-issue fill-in in the middle yeah a really not especially great two-issue fill-in uh, in fact it really the one of the things that's uncomfortable about it is that weird thing of like wow i've been reading avengers like it's this weird like is it do people think do the guys writing the avengers think that one of the things that's great about the avengers is the idea that there's always one Avenger in the hospital at all times. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of Avengers in the hospital scenes in the Avengers. Oh, my God. They're really... But, but by this point, there has been... Like, it is a trope. Yeah. It's a trope. And more often than not, it's the Wasp. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but this one... So, so we have... One of the things that's unfortunate is we have the whole situation where the Wasp ends up in the hospital nearly dead. Then she's joined by... Uh, uh, Hank Pym, you know, this is like 139, 140. Uh, and then when the fill in issue drops for 145 and 146, you get this master assassin who's out to kill everybody by essentially all but assassinating Captain America. And so everyone ends up in the hospital yet again. Uh, and it really is. It's like there's, <laughs> it's like if you were like me, completely willing to ignore the trope you're like there's something about avengers and the state of american healthcare. you know what i mean like there's clearly <laughs> this is an obsession maybe it's the obsession that all freelance comic book writers have at a certain point when they realize like yes this is why i admire these superheroes they have health care you know it's like i don't i i'm not quite sure where it goes but um it, it's kind of great as well that the um the two should fill in it's clearly like an annual or something yeah. That they split into. As evidenced by the fact that the first few pages of the second issue are by an entirely different artist. Oh, yes. Yeah. In fact, Keith Pollard, who does a really nice, I saw his um, Scarlet Witch at the window crying, and it made me think of that Scarlet Witch holding up the picture by Dave Crawford oh, that you like so much. I totally, totally disagree. Oh, really? Yeah, I really don't like his, his Scarlet Witch at the window crying. It's, it, yeah. It's, um, it's only possible for me if. You say that he's trying to do like a Lichtenstein riff, a riff on Lichtenstein riffing another artist. Oh, I see. So I, it's a, a riff I on a riff yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah, okay. I don't. I really, really do not like that. Uh, oh, well, I'm glad you clarified because I was. I was like, "Well, Graham love this? Does Graham love Scarlet Witch in romance comic 
tropes, you know. I, I, you'd think I would, but I really, really hate that uh, drawing. If only because uh, it is one of the many, many times in comics where characters are crying out of the wrong side of their eyes. Oh, really? Is it coming out in, like, by her nose or something? Or No, it's coming out by her, her the, the other... Uh, Jeff, you do know where you're... Your tear ducts are, right? No, I have no idea, Graham. Do you, you don't, <laughs> uh, let me open this up here, everybody, because I'm like, see, this is, this is my thing is, is like, I guess I, cr- I cry all over the place. I don't cry that often. So that's part of it. But when I do, Graham, I, I always, I, I see, I could be wrong. I'm now looking this up. I also, the tear ducts were right beside your nose. You know, they probably are. They probably are. I'm thinking about, I, I'm like, yeah, that no, 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 they are. And cheek. this is why, uh, Scarlet Witch crying out of the opposite side of her eye. Uh, it looks so weird to me. Mm. Uh, hold on, I'm looking. Whereas I think I'm thrown off by the long history of gang tattoos, where it's like it's usually at the, the edge of the eye. And I just assumed that she was. Yeah, okay, that's pretty bad. But uh, um, Also just... the fact that, yeah, she has uh, two very, like, look at the shape of her eyes there, Jeff, mm-hmm. on that page. Yeah. We'll have to take screenshots so we can show those things we're discussing this one page in such detail. I, I just love it. I'm like, wow, you've got, okay, like, admittedly, her eyes are a little don't line up, but I'm... They don't line up, but also they're different shapes. Mm-hmm. Something very weird is going on with her right eye. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she's crying at the wrong side. Wow. How about her nose? How do you feel about her nose, Graham? Because this is, you've got, like, you've got opinions, <laughs> I have to say. <laughs> It's pretty awesome. Uh, you know what I do love in this page, though, really? Uh-huh. The uh, caption at the bottom where it goes, there's an autograph, no prize in the works for the true believer who can tell us exactly where this two-part tale yeah. falls in Avengers continuity. Happy hunting, if Andy. I do love that. It was like, we don't even fucking know. Well, so, but this is the thing that I think is kind of interesting is, um, so there's a few things that I think are fascinating. Uh, as Englehart blows his deadlines again. Or somebody somebody blows their deadlines again. I, I I think it's the the likely suspect is Englehart. The issues that come in after this two issue fill in that 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 draw in um uh you know the Avengers versus the Squadron Supreme and the the big wrap up are great. You know it's really yeah. as if there's no time has passed. So who knows what the fuck was happening? Well. Can we take a break for a second to jump ahead and talk about the editor's notes in 151? Yeah, see, that's what I'm trying to build to, because 151 is like, how do I feel? That to me, that I, I think I mentioned this in an email, but that editor, the, the editor's note in 151 is a little bit like that moment uh, in Boogie Nights where Bill Macy, uh, William H. Macy's character goes and blows his own brains out in the car. You know, it's like, this is the end of an era. The door... The window is being closed, and it... it's nuts. It yeah. really is. It's crazy. So, to to put some of this into context for listeners, uh, there is a two issue fill in that runs in the middle of Englehart's storyline, where he has, uh, as I said before, split the team up considerably. He's thrown half the team into an alternate uh, Earth where they're fighting Squadron Supreme, and it's Englehart playing up the Justice Leakness in a way that no one else ever has. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is he is really building up the Justice League, uh, Justice League analogy there. Yeah. Um, in the middle of the storyline, there is a two-issue fill-in. Yeah. And they are completely upfront in saying in the credits of the fill-in, it's a fill-in, like, 
they've not met their deadlines. It's a feeling, you guys. Oh, and don't mention. So, it. Then they again. This is this happens after that beast fill in back in one thirty seven. So it's yeah. less than a year yeah. earlier, right? So they then uh, you then get Engelhart comes back, finishes off that storyline, and then leads up to a big issue one fifty where they're going to uh, the Avengers trope. They're going to change the team. Yeah. What happens is half of issue 150 is a uh, reprint. Yes. And then the storyline finishes in issue 151. Issue 151, however, has three writers. Actually, it's Engelhart, mm-hmm. Shooter, and Jerry Conway. Yes. Yeah. And actually, uh, uh, right. I suppose you're right. This one is only Engelhart and Stanley. And Shooter. Oh, Stanley, uh, yeah, because of the reprint. Because of the uh, reprint. But yeah, 151 is... Has three writers. Yeah. It also has an editor's note in which they entirely throw Engelhart onto the bus. Oh, yeah. Do you want to read it? Because it is. It is. It is the bus throwiest thing ever. Last issue for our 150th anniversary issue, we were forced to publish a partial reprint instead of an all new story. And this issue, we'd like to offer both an apology and an explanation. First, the apology. We're sorry, gang. Really sorry. That in the past six months, half of the Avengers published have been either out of continuity fill-in stories or reprints. We're sorry that you, the Marvel reader, perhaps the most loyal reader in comics history, have been disappointed by our foul-ups, particularly on this book. We're sorry that we let this situation continue for as long as it did, and we're sorry that we didn't make the necessary changes before this point. But most of all, we're sorry because we've hurt the quality of this, one of Marvel's finest titles. And oh, we're just getting started. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. We've talked before about the dread deadline doom, but we've never really explained what the triple D means. It sounds kind of impersonal and amorphous, right? Like the kidney that ate Pukivsky, or the attack of the fifty-foot enchilada. Well, to a great extent, it is impersonal. Such as the time fifteen pages of artwork were accidentally mailed to Nome, Alaska, or the time all the art stores in New York ran out of India ink simultaneously. Or the time one writer's house was washed away in the Great Eastern Hurricane of 73. Remember that one, true believer? All those disasters were acts of God, unexpected and unavoidable. But, put boldly, no matter how good our intentions, sometimes we just can't fulfill our obligations. It's a sad fact and something of a cliché, but we're all of us pawns in this great game of fate. Sometimes, there's just nothing we can do. And then again, sometimes it is our fault. Which is amazing. They're like, Ooh. yeah, sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's the fault of a guy. And let's continue. Yeah. That is to say that we deliberately miss a deadline. We'd be crazy to do that. It means simply that sometimes a writer or artist will overcommit himself without regard for the problems of anyone else involved and later finds that he can't live up to his promises. After all, it's a sad thing when it happens, but it usually has nothing to do with the person's talent. But it does happen. And it can have cataclysmic results. Such as Avengers issue 150. Mm-hmm. Again, friends, we're sorry it happened. And we promise you it won't happen again. We have too much respect for the Marvel fans given the proverbial short end of the stick, even if it means making decisions we don't like. As the saying goes, the show must go on. Now, so far, they've not really thrown Engelhart on the bus. I mean, no, they pretty some much bitchy, have... bitchy, bitchy, yeah, but it but could have gone any I, number I, of ways. They've yeah. not really thrown him on the bus. Yeah. But don't worry, listeners, they're about to. Oh, yeah. Anyway, on to more interesting subjects. Interesting, like, absolutely fucking shitting on Steve Langerhard. Oh, man. Just reading the credits in this issue's tale, that there are three names listed as writers, and you're probably wondering how three guys can collaborate on anything. 
Never mind a tale as sensitive and as important as this one. Well, Steve Elgarth plotted the story, which was originally planned for Avengers issue 150, and when Steve failed to get it in on time, Jim <laughs> Troubleshooter jumped into the breach to finish the last six pages in the vain hope that we might still be able to publish the full story in our anniversary issue. Unfortunately, the book was already several weeks behind schedule, and there was just no way it could be finished before the printing deadline. So a last-minute substitution was made, and the bulk of the story was shifted to this issue, part of it written by Steve, and part written by Jim. At that point, editor Jerry Conway comes into the tale. Since the truncated story was only 11 pages long, six pages were used to introduce last issue, six new pages were needed to fill out this issue. In the course of a week, he and artist George Perez patched together a half a dozen stories to bots, which lead into future issues. We think George and Jerry match the style of the rest of the story very well, but naturally, we're not the final arbiters. You are. See if you can guess which pages were done by which writers. Hint, pages one or two are by Jerry, and page 17 is by Jim. <laughs> we hope you'll accept our apology. There's not much we can do if you don't. And we hope you'll understand our explanation. Avengers 150 is a black mark we intend to live down. Ooh. And writer-editor Jerry Conway, who'll be taking over the Avengers Nets issue, will try his best to do so. After a pair of guest art shots by John Buscema to give George enough time to draw Giant Size Avengers issue 6, Mr. Perez will be back in the book as a regular artist with issue 154, an act of God notwithstanding. We'll never have to have another out-of-continuity fill-in or reprint in this book again. And that's a promise we'll stand by. Till the Ned starts quake anyway. See you around, true believer. Yeah, so this is... You know, it's funny, because... um, How do I put it? <laughs> how, how is it funny, Jeff? Well, it's it's funny to me... It's funny in the opposite of the ha-ha way, I guess. For me, the thing that is... It is, in fact, to me, remarkably sad. Because it comes on the heels of the storyline that Englehart wraps up. You know, there are gaps, but I'm like, it read great. And, of course, to me, interestingly enough, before it goes, um, the final storyline has Cap's team thrown to a parallel Earth where the Squadron Supreme is basically the Justice League. And they are on an Earth that is run by President Nelson D. Rockefeller. Um, This Earth is an earth where essentially the president of the United States wears the serpent crown openly. And, and I think this is fascinating, the serpent crown, which has been a, the strong element of the last couple of issues is this corrupting influence, um, is left over from Cap's title uh, with Englehart, where Englehart takes a whole storyline that he was building to, uh, featuring rocks and oil. It is... The Serpent Crown is this interconnected nest of snakes that is truly evil and takes the whoever is wearing it, puts them in connection with all the other members of the Serpent Crown in all the other parallel universes, which is a pretty nifty sort of cosmic idea. But even creepier, it is very clearly for Englehart a metaphor for corporate control Um and so if you dig a little or like me, a lot of Noam Chomsky in your superhero comics, there is something that to me is both profoundly moving and kind of sad to have the worst case scenario that Englehart can imagine is an earth 
that is run entirely by corporations and corporate control has spread into the government to such an unparalleled level that the government is openly and absolutely doing the bidding of essentially big oil. This is, I don't know how you felt about it, Graham, but I was so incredibly just literally flat out sad while reading that, because while I don't doubt that, you know, like any good, you know, pulp writer worth his salt with something to say, Engelhardt's science fiction story is a reflection of his own current times, but in a way that is sort of, um, I think he makes a really strong point of suggesting that there is a, this is arguably a DC earth, you know, and oh, the, he's, he's very explicitly uh, explaining it's a DC earth. There, there are not only is there is justice league in there, mm-hmm. but there's talk about the way it is societally different. Yes. In a way that it's, is really fairly explicit that it's DC. Also, Lois Lane shows up at one point. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, there's, there's, there's a few other things. And it's so, it's very, Englehart is making this very interesting point about, again, uh, comics companies, I suppose, and corporate control. Um, and, Interestingly enough, unlike to me in later years, there was a brief period before it kind of got undone where the DC universe seemed more optimistic, I suppose, than the Marvel universe. Englehart in this story very specifically posits the fact that it is just about the opposite. The the DC universe is one that is a, a, a entirely corporate controlled and um, only basically through the Avengers speaking truth to power to the squadron Supreme and the squadron Supreme genuinely being superheroes, despite the way that they've acted, despite the way that they've taught, they've, they've um, acted throughout the last five issues when basically talked about, like they are being manipulated and used like pawns and children by what they think is the president of the United States, they, it is enough to make them actually change their minds about the path that they're supporting. And the indication that you get is that this, um, alternate earth very well may change back, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating to me that he does that in a way that almost sets up his justice league run, which he, he does like within a year because, his Avengers, like when they throw him off Avengers, they throw him out of Marvel. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you look at his career, mm-hmm. that's pretty much the last you'll see of Engelhart for about six months. And then when you see him again, he's writing DC books. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Which, and because he comes in, he's, he's, man, he's writing like a champ. Although, interestingly enough, I haven't read enough of his Justice League stuff, just the Batman stuff. So, oh, Jeff, it's, it, here's a sad thing. I think I said this before when I started tracking down his back issues. Mm-hmm. Um, Dick Dillon's art is not for everyone's tastes. Yeah. And when I say that, I mean most people's. Uh, <laughs> but Engelhart's writing on that is as sharp as anything he's doing in Avengers. Yeah. And I, I, I definitely have to hunt it up. So, again, one of the things that I think is fascinating is uh, my original assumption was that that letters page was being written by um, 
a very uh, truculent Jim Shooter. I'm now sort of wondering if it's not Jerry Conway, um, because, of course, Conway ends up editor-in-chief and tooting his own, the, the tooting of his own horn toward the end there. But Conway's actually off Avengers relatively quickly after, and it goes to Shooter. Shooter, as we all know, goes on to 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 run Marvel Comics and very much institutes the various trains run on time policies that at first um, are welcomed and then later become the very epitome of stifling creativity. So here to me is kind of where you see the wave break essentially for Marvel Comics and you don't even know it for a very long time to come. Engelhart has posited a world in which Marvel is better than DC because it is not under corporate control. And here he is in Avengers 151 being thrown off the bus, being shoved out of Marvel. And the processes are because Jim Shooter is right there. God only knows in whatever I, I, I go like capacity, but he is there standing by the throne ready to step in, take the place, and begin the changes that end the era that Englehart is in the process of literally trying to celebrate in his final Avengers storyline. Yeah, no, it, it's totally true. And also, Englehart's departure really ends any true growth of Avengers beyond, oh, look, they're changing the roster of the team. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I after mean... after issue one fifty, mm-hmm. there's really not any. Engelhart was trying to, and for the most part, succeeding to build a series where the Avengers was not necessarily the biggest characters, but it was characters who existed within the book and nowhere else, and as such, could have stories that actually changed them. Yes. And after this, you will have characters who are exclusive to Avengers, but mm-hmm. there will never again be a story where they change event. They will have events. Events will happen to them, mm-hmm. but they will never really change dramatically as a result. Hmm. Even in, cause after, for me, after Engelhart, Stern's run is the best Avengers. Hmm. You get to Roger Stern stuff and that's the best. But even in Stern's run, everything seems weightless. Mm-hmm. You know, you get, I mean, you get great stories in there. Uh, you get like the Under Siege story, you get uh, the, I was going to say Heavy Metal story, but that's the one that ends with Stern being forced off the book. Um, wow. Oh yeah, yeah, and again, that's that's in the letters page and they are completely upfront about it. Wow. Um, See, this is stuff, this is, this is great, because I really did, I like, from this point on, as a kid, I follow Avengers all the way through the Michael Cor, uh, the Korvac saga, maybe the next 10 issues off after that, but I'm, I'm mm. off the book even before 200 rolls around. So. Oh, so, yeah. You've, so you've not read in the Stern run, which is great. But mm-hmm. again, nothing happens in the Stern run that actually really changes the characters as char- characters. Right. Um, well, and also when Stern gets forced off the book, he like it, the letters column is explicitly says it's because, uh, they had crossover plans and Stern didn't want to do them. And so they fired him. Wow. Wow. And and also more innocent time that you could actually just up front say that, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because you couldn't do that now. Can you imagine the shitstorm if Tom Brevoort was like, "Yeah, we fired 
uh, Jonathan Hickman off the book because Rick Remender had an idea and we were going yeah. to do that as a crossover and Hickman didn't want to do it. No. That, that, that would never happen. Well, that's the thing that I think is hilarious is even as completely exasperating and quasi-thuggish as I find um, the – how do I put this? The comment the, – the, the big twos, some of their various policies, it is done with um, – with yeah, with half an eye toward it's it is it's subtle compared to what you were getting back then. What you were getting was just so open. You know, it's so funny because I do think that um, uh, I don't know. It's 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 uh, it's it's heartbreaking for me to actually think about it that this is the way that it's changed. I, I was going to mention, by the way, that in case people, I totally admit that I I shifted things around a few different times. But one of the things that I should say is. You're a good man, Charlie Foreman. Um, <laughs> so get hopping. Uh, no, was actually the idea of like, I, I, although I talk about this as the end of Marvel Comics and the era as I know it, and I don't even, you know, and I didn't, had these issues at the time and I didn't see it coming, and to see it now is plain. But also the fact that there is, for me, the, the Chomsky ish guy who's like, oh, holy shit, like, Steve, Steve Englehart's like worst nightmare that he projects for this terrible alternate earth is to me so similar to the way so much of the, of the way things happened post nine 11 <laughs> for the United States of America that I just find it like, just kind of like, Oh, it, I just, I really did have to just, I felt, I felt really genuinely sad reading this stuff. It was like, ah, oh. How did we? How did we end up here? How are we going to turn this around? Um, so tell me, Graham. Tell me now. <laughs> how? Well, oh my God, I'm so sad to be like, and so talking about injustice. <laughs> oh shit! Right. You know, this is the thing that's great. We've got like six minutes. I wanted to talk about injustice and compare it to the irredeemable omnibus because I read the entire run of Mark Wade's irredeemable and then read injustice. And I somehow feel like that plus the first issue of Jeff Johns's uh, Superman with John Romita jr. Like we've got like this like mega thing. So talk, talk about injustice, please. Uh, no, I want you to talk about injustice because you liked it much more than you expected. And I think you went into it more cynical than I did. So I, I'm, I'm super right. curious uh, to hear why you liked it more than you expected. Uh, okay. Well, I guess um, there were a couple of things. I had uh, – uh, I ended up, for those not in the know, I ended up picking up a, a cheap volume digitally when it was like the deal of the day over at Amazon. So I read it in the Kindle app, which surprisingly not – terrible for reading this injustice volume one the entire trade i had read the first issue of injustice i think when it was offered free on comiXology that might have happened like two or three different times that it was offered free and i finally picked it up read it thought that it was terrible like absolutely flat out horrible and although i had heard from many people that it was worth sort of checking out that tom taylor had had a more um sophisticated touch with the characters than you would think from that first issue. There was part of me that just so disliked that. Anyway, sit down, read the whole thing. Uh, and I ended up enjoying it a lot for a couple of factors. One of them is that I thought that Tom Taylor was a surprisingly good, how do I put it? 
first and foremost, like a comic book writer. Uh, when he has, and spoilers for people who, I don't know, haven't read Injustice yet and are maybe thinking about it, although I don't think these are going to be big mega spoilers. When he has Mirror Master hide um, Superman's parents inside the largest natural mirror on Earth, which is this salt lake that I didn't know about. That was such a classic kind of Silver Age fun fact that, um, and that just was like, God, how many times have we seen the Mirror Master done? And it's rare that you get anything even remotely new about it. So part of it was the quality of the comic book writing that um, I was seeing in the story in just sort of a page by page issue by issue basis. Um, there's an issue that's super problematic for me in that uh, the issue where essentially Aquaman goes rogue is difficult for me in terms of how the character um, acts that I suppose I can get into a little later on down the line. But in terms of the way the issue is structured, I absolutely adore because Taylor takes the time to start with Iron Man on uh, breaking up a Japanese oil uh, whale hunting um, ship. And you see Aquaman standing in front of the eye of a whale. And so this, the story has this issue, has this sense of scope. It starts from there and then it builds builder bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So you've got Aquaman compared to a whale compared to the whaling ship. So that by the time that the Kraken comes out of the water, which is, you know, standard Atlantis Aquaman kind of submariner trope and starts knocking about the ships and they're like little tiny ships. And in fact, the people you see Aquaman communicating and his, his word balloon is literally communicating to the Kraken with a pictogram of the ships. I thought it was just such a remarkably well done sense of how to take your scale and build it up to make something like that work. And other little touches like when Wonder Woman comes to meet Aquaman and talk to him, she literally is walking on water. Um, and, and that like at one point she actually kneels and is talking to him. His head is part way out of the water and she is taking a knee. I just thought that that was just incredibly well done. There were little bits and pieces that um, really worked for me. And then interestingly enough, the first issue made me think like, oh shit, we're going to get like Superman flips out and goes insane and kills everybody. Um, and it's going to instantly go dark. And one of the things that I really ended up appreciating about the first trade of injustice is the way in which Superman, after going through a, a horrible situation and tremendous amounts of grief still can more or less act like Superman and not, there's a lot of scenes that are melodramatic ham handed people yelling at each other, you know, being pushed over the top that I thought were just kind of terrible. But interestingly enough to me, unlike say, um, well, it, there were just scenes where particularly where Superman and Batman are interacting as Clark and Bruce and Batman is, trying to plead with Superman not to go down the path that he's doing and why he knows that it's important. Um, that actually felt like it, 
these were characters that were being written as characters that I recognized, you know, in mm-hmm. ways that sometimes um, I've read DC New 52 comics and did not recognize those characters. Or frankly, before the reboot, you know, one of the things I was basically expecting a very tarted up J.T. Kroll comic in Injustice, for those of us who remember good old cat swinging J.T. Kroll. And what I what we what I found was somebody who was a much bigger fan of DC and the characters, but uh, maybe fans the wrong way to put it. He was just such a good writer that I was like, Oh, these are the characters that I recognize at least most of the time. Uh, unfortunately, there's a couple of heel turns that happen later where I'm like, uh. so that's me very quickly, Graham, please jump in. So, so I want you to keep reading. Mm-hmm. Is the short version. Uh, I got the second collection of this sent to me the other week. And is it? It's, it's not even, even officially out, is it? Uh, I honestly collection? have no idea. Is okay. it out? I, I, you know, I had, uh, I, I admit, I looked for it at the comic book store thinking that I would maybe pick up the second trade. If uh, the second collection is apparently out. Oh, okay. So maybe they were just sold out. Of uh, no, it's not. Sorry, uh, Amazon is lying to me. It's actually coming out July 1st. So it's coming okay. out next week. Okay, so that makes um, sense. Yeah, I want you to keep reading mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because uh, even by the end of the second collection, mm-hmm. Superman still hasn't gone nuts. Mm. Superman still likes Superman. In the middle of the second collection, there is essentially a story of wasn't Superman great before all this happened, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a flashback. And it's the Superman that everyone talks about when they talk about Superman. Right. Tom Taylor definitely gets the characters. Yeah. Definitely gets the characters. Yeah. Um, it's really, really interesting because in many ways, I feel like he's writing against the concept of the series mm-hmm. because Injustice as a series has to set up the game. Right. And in order for the game to be set up, Superman essentially has to go nuts mm-hmm. and he has to do these bad things and he has to kill these people. Yeah. And Taylor's writing Superman who is slowly getting pushed towards this, I mean, uh, not to completely spoil something, but uh, a main character dies in the second collection. Mm-hmm. As a result of Superman's actions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But whereas, I, uh, even if Jeff Johns was writing the comic, you mm-hmm. would have Superman do something in a moment of anger and, he, you know, he'd be screwed up afterwards, but he'd be like, but it was the right thing to do. Yeah. Taylor yeah. doesn't give us that. Yeah. Taylor no, he... Superman who, who's haunted by this. Yeah. I, who may feel it's the right thing to do, but is still really not liking doing it and not at peace doing it yeah yeah uh which is important it's re- I, I think really helps the the verisimilitude of the story yes and, and of the of the grounding of the characters exactly in fact the thing that was problematic for me is on the one hand superman starts to basically say no more of this and you know, no more, essentially no more injustice in the world. Like, this is it. I'm cleaning every, I'm cleaning up everyone's act, whether they like it or not. And for me, it's what I like is a half the Justice League characters are like, you know what? I'm with you. You know, uh, others are like, I'm not sure about it, but you've done so much for us. I've got to give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, it's an interesting thing to follow up on Irredeemable, where Irredeemable, having read the entire thing through, is Mark Wade telling a story about the Plutonian, a Superman-like character, who makes 
a bad mistake, everyone turns on him and he more or less flips out and is like, you know what, fuck all of you. And although, I don't know, that's something we should probably talk about more at some point. Um, and what I really liked in this is a lot of times, you know, the Plutonians, like, you never had my back. It was like the instant I did something wrong, you people all turned on me. And one of the things that I loved in Injustice is the fact that, that you do actually see, A, the number of people who who have faith in Superman and are like, okay, you know what, I know, A, I know what he's doing. B, there's a point where when he's basically like, yeah, no, why not stop all wars? Like the Taylor is really doing, it's almost like it's an authority, an authority story that you never even really quite fully gotten the authority being told as a justice league story. Um, that for me has parts that are incredibly convincing and little, little in between bits and pieces that I loved. I actually really loved like, honestly, walking out of Injustice, the first volume, I'm like, I'll read Tom Taylor. I would happily read him do Batman, Superman, or even Catwoman. His Catwoman issue where she's basically um, comes across a criminal who's been shot dead in the alley. And she's like, oh, God, he was one of the good ones, you know, and mm-hmm. goes on to basically tell Superman when she's confronted by him, like, look, don't basically don't let the bankers in the 1% get away. You know, don't just stop, you know, the criminals and the war tyrants, like get the people behind them, the people who robbed people and put people out of jobs, you know? And one of the things I like is that speaks very heavily to the radical Pinko in me, um, in a way that I'm not used to seeing in a DC comic, much less a DC video game tie in comic, but, that it is an appropriate way to see Catwoman. I'm not following yes. the time scheme. I don't know how close on the heels this comes of, you know, Dark Knight Rises, Selina Kyle, but it is a really, really a surprisingly effective take uh, on anti-hero Catwoman that I liked tremendously. tremendously. Yeah, I, 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 I think that there's, I think you should stick with Injustice then. Definitely mm-hmm. on the strength of the second collection. I think you're going to find a lot more that you like. Yeah. Um, it it really is surprisingly strong in character. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you were talking about this being an authority story done with the Justice League, this kind of gets back to what I was thinking about before with the Avengers, mm-hmm. which is Injustice made me realize that the difference between Marvel and DC on a really base level mm-hmm. is that Marvel wants to keep everything part of the same story, wants to keep everything in continuity. Marvel mm-hmm. wants to have the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. And sure, it's got the Ultimate Universe as well, but let's face it, not for much longer. Mm-hmm. So it's got the Marvel universe, okay? And that's the core story. And it's the Marvel universe. Everything counts. Everything counts in the Marvel universe. Right. You can't miss anything because everything counts. Yeah. And DC has moved to this point where they're like, we have 7 million fucking versions of our characters. Mm-hmm. Our characters are so strong that they have the basic myth and everyone can build off that. Well, how do I, I put I, it? Like, that's the thing. Injustice is like an incredibly, yeah, it's this incredibly good Elseworld story. But I feel like DC has been radically trimming, pruning everything back at a, but at a they, time. But they've not, because you've got Injustice, you've got the all the digital first uh, anthologies that they've done, mm-hmm. which are mm-hmm. all out of continuity. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, the Infinite Crisis 
thing, which again is another video game tie-in. You've got the Batman thing, which is another video game tie-in. And more importantly, if you look outside of the comics, you've got Arrow, you've got Gotham, you've got the uh, Man of Steel movies, and they're all in different continuities. Whereas for Marvel, Marvel like everything makes sense, everything fits together. But that's and I, th- I, I don't know, man. I want to agree with you on this, but I'm I'm a little shaky on it. I'm a little. Sh- I, 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 I I think. Yeah, I think that. Um, I think there's a, you can definitely make counter arguments mm-hmm. in, in terms of the main comic line. DC is definitely trying to appeal to the obsessive. Still, mm-hmm. it's definitely trying to appeal to the fanboy, which mm-hmm. is which which is has been trained by Marvel. Everything counts. You want to read this because it counts. Yeah, but they have done so many fucking reboots. Mm-hmm. Well, so you're right. That it's... they've also got to the point where where there is no core, like where all there is for core text for these characters now is the very basic origin story. And everything else can go and improvise off that. And I think that's really healthy, and I'd like to see DC do more of that. See, the weird thing is, is I kind of feel that there was a prime point when DC was doing that, and they sort of have made a point to shut that down over the last few years. I mean, that's part of what the idea was behind the New 52. Um, you know, and I, so I don't know. I It's... it's how do it, I put it? It's, I would be. Ha- I'm yeah. not sure. I agree. That's the reason behind the 52. Well, no, sales were the reason behind the new 52. But there was an idea of like we're having a starting point for all these characters, you know, except for the characters that we're not going to. But then we are going to. You know what I mean? Like it was very half-assed. But the idea was no, we're going to have, we're going to do another reboot, and it's going to be, it's going to be everything going forward from here. I think, to me, I feel that. I do there's part of me that does feel that there's a certain sensibility to a reboot idea um but honestly for me what worked best seemed kind of that weird post crisis like post crisis on infinite earth kind of stage where it's like in the mid 90s where you were kind of getting you had a lot of elseworld titles being dropped in the market and admittedly the majority of them were for Batman because he's old or Justice League because it's old but you could get alternate takes on the characters and or like when you got people who kind of didn't give a shit about crisis continuity and were bringing in some of the hyper time concepts it kind of got to a point where to me it was like oh okay everything's starting to exist here you know what I mean and I would like I would like to read the adventure I like the comic where Batman's a kid and where Batman's an old man and where Batman is just starting out. As you know, we've talked about how much I enjoy Zero Year for ex- precisely these reasons. Of But but do you not think these things are on offer through the digital anthologies? Uh, well, first off, the digital anthologies are closing down. Like, Adventures of Superman's canceled. Uh, sure, but they, it, they, but they did... Well, as quietly they announced it. <laughs> it's not like it just stopped. Well, it, mm, they didn't put out a press release. They certainly mentioned they did. Like, did they? I don't think so. Yeah, they, re- they really did. They put out a press release for something else, but that press release said quite clearly this is taking the point of our matrix of Superman, which is stopping with this issue. Oh, okay. All right. Well, okay. Um, no, but also they've done, they do an anthology a year. They did it with the Batman, then they replaced it with the Superman, now they're replacing it with the Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's well, okay. Now that they're doing another anthology, I, I am, I'm hopeful about the stuff that they've been doing digitally. And admittedly, I've been buying, you know, I bought Batman 66 for that reason. 
I guess the weird thing is, is for me, Injustice scratches a very specific itch in that it's an out of continuity story, but it is not a... An out of character story. Well, it's not an out of character story, although I did have a little problems with the, like, suddenly Aquaman decides it's his time to lose his shit kind of thing. Um, it, it's not, it's, it's not. He's always tried to lose his shit, Jeff. Just yeah, exactly. Attention. Exactly. Remember he grew that beard? He grew I hair. know, it's That's true. Fun. It's totally, Aquaman is like, look at me, look at me. So I, but, but no, but it's, how do I put it? What I would have loved from Adventures of Superman, Adventures of Batman, and Advent, you know, any of the anthology titles, and is a little bit uh, more of the yes, it's the wait what mantra, a little more 2000 AD, you know what I mean, in the idea of one shot stories and continuity building and you return to. In fact, I, I love that Injustice is is um is not out of character it is out of continuity but it's also not something that ends after three digital issues you know sure no i i totally agree it it's it's an ongoing world yeah yeah it's an ongoing world it's an ongoing story it seems to be going someplace and as much as i love a good done in one it was hard with me for with batman 66 or adventures of super i'm like i can only do so many issues of done in ones you know what i mean like oh no i i i i totally see what you're saying how so, how do you feel about well i was i was going to say how do you feel about earth 2 you've totally not read earth 2 well and this is it i was kind of like oh tom taylor and i'm like oh fuck he's on earth 2 oh i don't want to put that book up you know cuz i don't i don't know i should give it a try it just Everything that it sounded at first, I was very excited by the idea of Earth Two, and then it was kind of like James Robinson doing the best with kind of a bad hand, you know. Which is to me, it was very much a kind of like, yeah, Earth Two is like for people who want extra grim and gritty on the side of their grim and gritty grits. You know what I mean? Like it's, it just didn't, I would didn't argue. I would argue that it's no more grim gritty than Injustice. Well, grim and gritty is pretty. Uh, Injustice is pretty grim and gritty. I yeah, but I, I really I, I I yes, but also I find Injustice I guess less depressing than some mainstream uh, New Fifty Two titles. I do too, but in I, part I think because it's sense. yeah, it's well. There's a variety of reasons for that, but it's true. I would pick up Earth Two. Maybe okay. I I will pick up Earth Two because Tom Taylor's on it. I will give it a try. Yeah, There's, I was going to say. Whenever the first collection of Taylor's issues are out, mm-hmm. um, pick that up okay. because I think that might be more your your wheelhouse. Yeah. Although the uh, the Jim Robson run does end with the funniest "fuck you" to DC ever. <laughs> oh, you were saying, and I can't even remember what it is now. Uh, uh, he he like in in the last like I, I want to say it's the last page even of his run. He's like mm-hmm. that big villain. It's Superman. <laughs> I'm off the book now. Catch you later. <laughs> Peace out. Yeah. Yeah, and like Superman kills Green Lantern that issue as well. Mm. Um, but then, but then Taylor Taylor does interesting stuff, um, which again both stays true to a variety of the characters mm-hmm. and brightens everything up almost wow. immediately afterwards okay. when he takes over. Like he he the first thing he does is bring back Lois, mm. who has been dead for the entire run of that of the book so far. Mm-hmm. And it's the first thing he does when he gets on the book. That's great. Yeah, he's uh, I that Tom Taylor guy. I have to say, he really did win me over. That trade 
Um, I'm kind of appalled to think that I will be picking up the second Injustice trade. I really liked it. We're kind of running out of time, but it is, it's a shame because it's kind of Taylor, Injustice, the DC news about its colorists and its royalty structure is something I would love to talk with you about. You know, we just cracked two hours. Should we should we go a little bit longer and talk about that stuff? Or uh, no? uh, let's let's try and go a little bit longer. And at some point, I'm going to turn into bees, so we'll have to we'll have totally. to stop. Yeah, totally true. Uh, so, yeah, the DC news. I, I I was mostly very happy about it. I kept looking for the the cloud. <laughs> I I loved that the internet crowdsourced the cloud with great speed. Mm, I thought mm-hmm. it was hilarious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That instead of being like, hey, this could be good news, they immediately were like, what's the catch? And then someone's like, well, it's net revenue, not gross revenue, which I thought was great. Like, right. people were really just like, I'm determined to find the, bad, the problem with this. Right. And I well, was, yeah. So mm-hmm. many people went, well, net revenue, and then treat it the same as net profit, which it isn't. Right. Well, and in fact, that person had to nebulous. correct themselves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but net, uh, but here's the thing. They might be right. It's just that they're not necessarily right. And it was fascinating to see uh, Comics Alliance print a piece where they're like, net revenue is what happens with all the money's brought in minus all the costs of production. And I was like, no, that's net profit. Mm-hmm. Net revenue is whatever the company decide net revenue is, which right. is much scarier. Right. And so, and they're going after net revenue then, or is it on net profit? Yes, it's okay. net revenue. Okay, so that is the that is the sc- potentially scary gray lining, or potentially great. No, agreed. Like, I totally agree. If, yeah, if yeah, these yeah. sites that doesn't want to screw people, that's great. No, I uh, mean yes. Uh, I'm. It was a a really interesting. A lot of it just feels like they're modernizing. Do you know what I mean? Like all the right. stuff about no, we're doing it electronically. It's like well, yeah. yes. Like everyone else has been doing for a long time. Good well, for you. I I'm super happy about the oh, right electronic immediate faster payments uh the colorist thing is a huge win i feel um i think that is just the best news uh yeah i'm i'm my thing is i think and i don't mean it as a particular dc thing i generally do think that usually my my experiences with companies usually is when they change these policies there's a little bit of you get something and they get something yeah, and I I think there's definitely downsides to this, mm-hmm. um, and I, even not in the sense of like, well, DC are screwing people, but the fact that they are now going on net revenue and not the cost of the issue means yes. that anytime something goes on sale, for example, right. the creators are going to get less money. That's that's just what's happening, right? And so the I think the pie is going to shrink. I, I and. There's no more people taking pieces of the pie. Well, actually, so this is actually part of my question is, uh, and maybe you can uh, answer this for me because I, I'm I'm definitely a goober on this stuff. It, if someone like, let's say, Grant Morrison's All-Star Superman, for example, un, under the new plan, he gets the royalty struck, you know, the royalties are in place from the first issue. It's based on this net profit concept. Such, net revenue brought Sorry, the net revenue concept, such that he continues to see money from it digitally, from collections. But is is it as a percentage of the – so when you're saying if it's, if it's something that's on sale, they get a smaller piece of the pie. But the plus side of that is, is they don't lose out from – because the way I look at it is, is like if you're doing like your – 
um, all-star Superman, you know, ultimate collection in hardcover and you're pricing it at, you know, a hundred bucks, I would think that the creator wants to make sure that they're still getting paid. Like even if it's 2% of that hundred dollar structure, that's better than them being paid of royalty based off of their, the original two ninety nine dot price of the original issue, right? Yes, although I'm not necessarily sure that's how it was structured before. I'm kind of so curious. My, my understanding is, mm-hmm. uh, to use your analogy, if you know All Star Superman's big expensive hardcover is a hundred dollars, yes. then they would be getting a percentage of the hundred dollars. It's not that they would be getting a percentage of those twelve issues mm-hmm. at the at two ninety nine. Right, I I think the I think where the uh, net revenue versus price of issue thing comes in is in uh, is in digital sales, and mm-hmm. by by which I mean the sales, not the have we sold it digitally, but in the we are now making this issue available for ninety nine cents for a limited time. Yeah, but I think that's. Uh, I don't have a well. I think, I think that's like, fair. That seems, that I, seems fair. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, my totally worry is more the idea because if DC's of, yeah. making less money. I think it's ridiculous that they pay out the full royalty rate nonetheless. Right. Right. I agree. Yeah, I have, I have no problem with that. But yeah. I think that's where it really makes difference. Also, it's worth bearing in mind that now, um, digital and print count as one. Right. But collections don't. Collections mm. go in a different bucket altogether. Oh, okay. Okay. So that does, sorry, that does make then my metaphor, yeah, my analogy is completely shot. So once you put out the ultimate all-star Superman, then that is a completely different product with a completely it's a com- different yes. set net yes. profit. Okay. Yes. Well, yes. which, which again, um, I think is what would be better for creators yeah. generally. Another massively important and incredibly underreported part of this deal is digital first creators now get royalties. Yes, which, which is great. before. They yeah. never got before. No, I know. As uh, someone, this was one of the things that when I picked up Injustice, I kind of had this thing of like, oh, hey, maybe Tom Taylor will actually see additional money from this because the idea that he, you know. Don't, don't yet, Jeff. Don't. <laughs> it's not taking effect till July. Oh, okay. It's not, and it's probably not retroactive. It's probably going forward from that point. I, I, have, I, have I would think it would have to be retroactive for some of their yeah, previous you, you'd things. Think. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Particularly with something Uh, like digital where you've got sales of things that are, you know, more or less it's the stuff. It's some of the perennial titles that are still churning in digital, you know. Yeah. I I have no idea how that's going to work. But Mm -hmm. but having digital first stuff now have royalties available is great. And you've got to consider, I mean, because Injustice is selling really fucking well. Oh, yeah. I'm sure Batman 66 outside of the direct market is going to sell really fucking well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think the digital stuff is where, where there's the best possibility of outreach mm-hmm. is. Right. And so it's great that essentially DC is incentivizing this as much as they can. Well, yeah. that's not true. They could incentivize it much more. They're well, incentivizing no, but it there is an incentive. How about yeah, that? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think I, I think that's great. So I, I am a big fan. I was fascinated. Yeah, I, I, I'm generally in favor of this. Yeah. How do you think? Because um, I assume you saw uh, Mark Wade's mention. At first, it was generic a generic tweet saying like wow that was like the best sort of 
do you do you know what I'm talking about? Where he yes. he said like he said something along the lines of like that's that's the greatest sleight of hand I've seen. He didn't yes. say it in that the, those words, but that was essentially what he was saying. Right, right. Did you and catch... then really really upset when people were like, "Are you saying something's bad?" And he was like, "No, I meant it as a compliment." Which <laughs> really did you? Like, even as a compliment, you're kind of meaning it as an insult. I know, he keeps doing that. He's like that, the comments where he, sh- he got that huge shitstorm stirred up on Future's End. Um, and I, I thought, I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt of that one, where he was like, oh yeah, Future's End is the new 52-iest uh, title uh, that the new 52 ever 52 or yeah, whatever. And, th- and then he's like, I, but I mean it as a compliment. That's a great thing. And you're like, you really didn't, Mark. You really didn't. <laughs> well, or I, I mean, he, I thought, it, at least to me, the way he spun it was, I'm not saying it's for me, but I'm, but if it is the thing that you dig, you will dig it. And he's like, and I did not, and I meant it in in a way that you can take like that, which I was like, okay, yeah, but, he, but here's the thing. I, because I don't know. I, I sure. But at the same time, I think you've got to consider the source and the audience. Yes. He's absolutely. clearly meaning it as a thing. Like he's yeah. clearly meaning it as a thing. Oh, and it was, it was kind of interesting watching how upset people got from it. And by people, I mean the people on the titles got on. That yes, site. exactly. The people who are working on it. Yeah. I mean, it really was. Cause I was like, you know, because it must have stung them. Like somebody, like I'm, like man, I hate to say this, Dan Jurgens, but I've been talking way more shit about you over the years than I think Mark Wade ever did in that tweet. But you know, sure, but God, hopefully Dan Jurgens is not listening to this in the hopes of winning the Oily 2014 Summer Bundle. This is like his first episode, and he's like, "What you? What? But I, but <laughs> if, if you are Don, all I'm going to say is this: your 1990s Superman work was great." Uh, yeah, Graham really I, thinks so. I, I, I mean that more sincerely. I really love the 1990 yeah. Superman, all the way up to Death of Superman. I think it was really good. Anyway. Oh, um, up to Death of Superman? Ouch. Yeah, no, 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 seriously. Like, after Return of, like, after that storyline was, was done, he was back, I, for whatever reason, completely dropped off the series. Like, mm. I, I did, just didn't read it after that. Well, after he was back, right? But you read after the death back. of the return. Okay, yeah. well, so, but you said up to the death of Superman. I, I'm, I meant, okay, I meant, like, uh, that That was the point where I jumped off, so I can't I see anything. Up to the end of the death of Superman. Yes. Sure. Okay, got it, sorry. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm like, really, Jeff? That's what you're focusing on, really? No, 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 sorry, uh, I just, I wanted to be clear, because it is, to me, I mean, you know, that's an extra year or so of, you know, two years of, of stories or something. So it's, to me, it's yeah. like an important, the demarcation point sounds very trivial, but I was kind of like, Oh, so you had a thing. You, before you didn't this? like it when he came back. Is that yeah, what you're saying? Exactly. That's what I was kind of, huh? But I totally get jumping off after the point. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I oh, Oh, sorry. So Wade, I, I, Wade. I, I think I think Wade is like weirdly trolling, and then it's kind of hilarious that he won't own the troll. Yeah, that's the part that's problematic, isn't it? I mean, you know it really I mean? is. It's like because like... you really are clearly trolling, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. then the amount of it's because to say he's not even apologizing. He then like just he comes up with straw man arguments where he's like, "This is why I hate bleeding cool." It's like, <laughs> okay, sure, but at the same time. Right. Why don't we address the fact of what you actually said? Yes, exactly. Exactly. That, and it's just like, I didn't mean it like that. It's like, you, you clearly did. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you know, let's be honest here. Okay, but so here's my thing that I don't understand is, 
I can understand what what did he think? What was I missing that DC was? I think it was the revenue part of it. I think he was. I think he his uh, suggestion was that everyone is so happy with the colorists news uh-huh. mm-hmm. that they are overlooking the fact that DC will be pokling the books to right. pay everyone less money. I see. Well, we will we will see. I mean, that is one of those uh, things. Or rather, we never will see. We'll never see. No, <laughs> maybe someone will talk about it. But yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thing. I some, guess what confused me is... was, un- unless he's seen the contracts, I don't know how he himself would know in that sense. You know what I mean? Or well, unless someone is... Well, two things. One, I don't think there is any contracts yet. I think right. he saw the email that everyone else saw because someone right. liked the email. Right. Um, And two... I don't think he needs to because as much as he says otherwise, I think Mark Waid's default with DC is this is a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I think I think he has just reached that point. And he's put up with a lot of shit. I could totally understand why he's reached that point. Yeah. But I think it's uh, completely facetious of him to argue otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He, he is not approaching this from without any agenda. Right. Yeah. Uh, Oh, yeah, definitely. No, 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 no. And that's the other thing that I'm sort of it was more just something like, okay, is there a specific other thing that I missed Um, because it seemed really fast? And and, and I I, I really I really think the suggestion was you phrased it in such a way that everyone's going to pay attention to the colors news and not the net revenue. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Thank you. So because I really was I was like, huh? Was DC, like, caught drunk in a car with, like, a mistress or something? Like, I really was not following. What, what I find kind of funny is, if for a second, it started off lots of people being like, well, will Marvel do this? And no one really, like, took that forward. Because Marvel has been offering colorists cover credit, at least, for years. I believe they've been offering colorists royalties or mm. incentives for years. Mm. Uh but Marvel doesn't offer, you know, I don't think Marvel offers the digital right. uh, royalty structure. Uh, royalty. It doesn't offer far, foreign royalties. Mm-hmm. That, that's something that many people have commented on in the past. Right. Um, and I feel that there was this weird moment where it was like, are we actually going to really talk about, you know, how publishers, because none of them call it royalties anymore. Incentivize. Right. I think it's called now. Right. How, you know, how, how this, how, Creators are treated. Although didn't Roy- didn't and, DC and totally call it royalties for a period, and Marvel never has, and now DC is yeah. I, I think I not. think that's thinking. Okay. DC is now officially calling it incentives now. Got it. Okay. Uh, which I think someone made the case that it's not an ownership thing, but it's a, a Hollywood thing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Because you have you have oh sorry true because DC isn't calling it even calling it incentives are they? They're calling it uh, participation. Yeah, which is a movie thing. Yeah, participation. Yeah, yeah. I think that's what they're calling it now. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I felt we were really close to having a a genuine moment of which publisher does treat everyone better, right? And then it just went away. Yeah. Well, because I really feel that's one of those things that. Um, how do I put it? That's to me one of the things that I find fascinating, and that is a conversation that pros have, and all the pros have. And and the pros have basically all the time, and it is a conversation they absolutely will not have um, outside 
of the private well, ranks, you know. But to be fair, that's completely understandable. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you yeah. know, Jeff, when was the last time you told people how much you earned a Oh, do No, that, totally. Yeah. Believe me, I know. And it's one of those things that I think is hilarious because I'm well aware that, A, it's um, – it's something that I think actually can benefit coworkers a tremendous amount, you know, it, it, particularly me and my coworkers in the day job where I work. And yeah, I would sooner cut out my tongue than say it. And so it, it is, it's, it's very, that's something that's deeply entrenched and deeply problematic. Um, and yeah, like you said, a hundred percent understandable. And yet at the same time, especially in the comics industry, um, very problematic. Did you see? You must have, in fact, because I'm sure I saw it on your Tumblr. The idea, maybe I saw it on someone else's, where somebody was asking uh, Tom Prefort on his form spring about. I don't remember if it was. It was maybe it was the treatment of Jack Kirby and the royalties or something like that. Oh yeah, and, that that wasn't for me, but I've seen it. Yeah, and Brevoort was basically. Like, that's none of your business. Why do you even need to know that? And the person said, well, I need to know it because I, I, you know, I need, I want to make an ethical decision about what I support in the companies that I support. And Brevoort did like the worst reply ever possible, I think, which honestly isn't my point, but his whole like, oh, well, then how much do you make? How much money is in your wallet? And I'm just like, what does that have to do with anything? That is not the, interestingly enough, this is one of those weird times where the customer has a slight advantage, you know, but I, I do feel that this is, um, it's a, it's a conversation that, that there are the fans that do want to have that conversation. I think for the most part want to have it in a way that is, to support the creators, I think, but it's never going to happen. And even as I say that, I can think of 9 million situations. Nothing kills my heart harder than watching somebody in a comments thread talk about, you know, why so-and-so like got a perfectly good, you know, paycheck. And if they didn't like it, they shouldn't, shouldn't have signed the contract concept that I just find so abominably sad about the internet. <laughs> It's like, I don't know anything, but I'm going to step in and say that this person's wrong because they're trying to find things out. No, no, that is wrong. Part of me is just like, are we that different, Jeff? I just said a moment of clarity is the call. Did you? Yeah. Do you? I, I don't know. Do you think, what, in trying to find out? Do you? Uh, no, in, in, in the, we don't necessarily know what we're talking about and we, we're exposing opinions nonetheless. Oh, how do I put it? Well, this is my thing is, is that there, my opinions never run along the lines of shut up you. Like even when this person's saying something. Are you on the sure? Internet, <laughs> yes, Graham, I am sure. <laughs> Shut up, Jeff Lester. <laughs> and scene. So, uh, and yeah. that's all we have time for. Yeah, pretty much. Well, you know, honestly, we only do have a few more minutes before you start making the Lord of the Flies noises. So maybe <laughs> we, maybe we should sign off here and now. I think. What do you think? Uh, with with our with our crisis of confidence, as we are, we just. Random people talking on the internet, not knowing anything. The answer, listeners, is yes. Oh Thanks yeah, for giving up two and a half hours of your life listening to two people who don't know anything talking about stuff. Thumbs but, up. 
beautifully, charmingly, loquaciously, and maybe not necessarily on point in any sort of fashion, but eh. Yeah, no, the comics business part is always hard because I think I, I always want to pick your brain because I feel like you have um, uh, a lot of great you, – you, I mean, you cover this stuff, so you've got so many uh, bits of knowledge and insight and things. And, you know, yeah, I'm just I'm just my angry, like, throw the opinions around sort of self. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's one of those weird things. I, I'd be curious. I wonder if, like, the very – when the very first cavemen invented the very first sport – like whatever that for you know thog ball. Like when did insider thog ball start? Like you know the next day, <laughs> you know. Like it just it did though. It's just this unfortunate necessity though. And I and again I in many ways I I think it's a good thing. You just have to be prepared for a shit ton of ignorance. Hopefully you get the entertaining ignorance instead of the tedious stuff. So we like to mix it up. Sometimes you get the tedious stuff too. <laughs> sure. We're sharing is what we're saying, listeners. Um, people who have listened this far, thanks very much. Uh, good luck in the uh, Oily Comics Summer Bundle giveaway. Uh, yes. I hope I hope you all win, even though I know more than five of you listen to this. So that's actually an impossibility. Yeah, it, but maybe uh, somehow. Yeah, you know. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, it is actually impossible, Jeff. Well, um, how do I put it? No, Let's say no, this. It's, it's, it's impossible, Jeff. No, no, no. It's more not than, More than five We know more than five people listen to this podcast. We yeah. also know we only have five to give away. It is actually impossible that everyone can win. Wrong. Unless only five people enter. Well, that's possible too, but also wrong. Graham, let me tell you, anyone who orders the Oily Bundle Summer 2014 is a winner, even if they pay $20 no. to get it. Oh, well played, Jeff. Yes. Although I point out again, there's only 200 of them. Okay, so good point. You checkmate to you, Graham McMillan. All 200 of you can be winners, even if you don't win the five that we're giving away, because... It's not ending well. Hey, you could be winners. Who knows? You might find a dollar in the street tomorrow. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> there you go. Everyone's a winner, baby. That's the truth. <laughs> oh, okay. This is the problem. On that bombshell. Yes. Um, we are at waitwhatpodcast.com. We are at waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. We are at at waitwhatpodcast on Twitter as well. Yeah. We are also at patreon.com forward slash waitwhatpodcast. Uh, we've mentioned it a couple of times this episode. We're running a Patreon. You guys can um, help support us. We appreciate it more than we sound like we do because we just start talking nonsense. Uh, but we really genuinely do appreciate everyone who's supporting us. Um, we are also on Twitter individually. I am at Graham M and Jeff is at Lazy Bassett. Mm -hmm. uh, and you can reach us via email. Uh, and you should for this giveaway. Yes. At wait what podcast at gmail dot com. I think that's it. I think I've yeah. given away everything, right? You have. It was impressive. Oh my god, so good. I, I, I'm telling you, we're getting good at this. Yeah, well, you are certainly. Yeah. Apart, apart from like the, the middle section where we weren't, but um, <laughs> in the future, 
in the next two weeks, we will return with a new episode where we will talk more than just Avengers. I just think it's great that last week we didn't have enough time to talk Avengers and we made up for this week by only talking about the Avengers. Dude, I'm so happy. Thank you. I read all these other comics and stuff that I was thinking of talking about, but I was like, I wanted to drag you through that and I was not going to. No, I, 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 I was glad to be dragged. I will say this about other comics. If you have not read it, people, Mark Miller and Duncan Fregredo's MPH2. Mm-hmm. Um, if you've ever wanted to read a comic and think, wow, that guy saw half of an episode of The Wire, didn't understand what it was about, but thought, superpowers, <laughs> that's the comic for you. Uh, it is amazingly tone deaf and almost offensive. And uh... I, I recommend it highly enough for that. Uh, comics I genuinely recommend highly uh, Flash Gordon issue 3 just came out this week yeah. Jeff Parker and Evan Shaner are making the greatest comic it, I honestly finished this most recent issue and thought hey you know how everyone's like Starlight is great because of the art but the story shit Flash Gordon is great because of the art and the story is spectacular yes um, yeah people it's great you should be jumping on it if you're not already reading it and for those reading 2000 AD uh, who aren't Jeff, because he's way behind on it. So the um, This week's final episode of Indigo Prime will blow your fucking minds. Mm. I I cannot say more than that without spoiling it. Other people on Twitter have already spoiled it, because oh, they're like, you know, I can't believe I they think did this. I did that son of a bitch. Yeah. I read this tweet yeah. that spoiled that. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, somebody said something, and I'm like, oh, you're just pulling that out of your ass. No. And then I'm like, no, no. No, that that actually happens, Jeff. Wow. It's mind-bending, also in a very Mark Millery way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, uh, people who are following 2080, sh- just you wait. People who aren't following 2080, when the collection of this comes out, you should read it, and you you might fold in on yourself the sheer fucking wackiness of this story and how it ends. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that that's it. Oh, and also, uh, Superman 32 was surprisingly good. You know, Superman 32, I wanted to talk to you about. Maybe we can talk about it a little bit uh, afterwards um, next time around. Although, that's the thing. Every two weeks, it's like there's a – comics are coming pretty yeah, fast and furious. Yeah, there's there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming out in the next two weeks that we'll have to talk about. But um, I enjoyed it. I was yeah. much better than I expected. You know, I enjoyed I it. I don't know. I, I, I both, like, liked it more than I thought, thought I would – like it more than I did somehow simultaneously. And also um, there are things, the things that I like about Jeff Johns uh, are in here. And so therefore I like them. And that was great. Interestingly enough, there were bits and pieces about John Romita Jr. That are the pieces that I normally like in John Romita Jr. And did not. So we'll have, have to talk about it. I would also love to talk with you at some point about Sex Criminals number six. Oh, yes, we should, because uh, that's another comic that I read and loved way much more than I could have possibly thought possible. It's it's oh interesting because I read it and I'm like, oh, this is like that. <laughs> The third arc of Casanova done correctly, I suppose, because it's... I also got a flashback to the third arc of Casanova. Mm-hmm. It's it's the it's the, the it's the depression arc, uh, yeah. and the navel gazing arc, but done so wonderfully. Yeah. I I loved it, and yeah. and I say that as someone who thought that the first arc didn't really land everywhere it should have. I thought the the issue six was really really strong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. Thought so too. Um. 
Batman Eternal had two pretty strong issues with absolutely extraordinary art in issue 11, and then just oh, sort the, of... Oh, was that Ian, the Ian Bertram art? Because that was amazing. Uh, yes, yeah. Ian, Ian Bertram's art, um, fucking astonishing. And then, honestly, uh, God bless him, I think it's like Tim Seeley doing the complete... Oh, no, I'm sorry, Michael Janin, uh, Mikkel Janin, uh, doing the completely sort of new 52 glossy figures... Um, that I actually also liked. Issues 11 and 12. Saga number 20. Fabulous. Um, Batman 32. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of good stuff here. There's other stuff yeah, that I'm somewhat was really good, wasn't it? It really was. Really, really great. And also, uh, if, um, who's the color of Batman? Uh, FC Placencio. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. If FC Placencio, I don't know even what gender that is, if it's a team or whatever, yeah. but if that person does not win awards, oh, then, completely. Then someone's yeah, gone. The, absolutely. Crazy. Yeah. The, you know, the previous issue I thought was amazing. And again, that sort of weird, like, this dyspeptic but pop color scheme. Like, I don't even understand technically how that would be able to work. But they make it work and up the ante. There is pieces and parts of it that are that make that basically like it's like you're reading a Batman comic book that suddenly looks like it would not be out of place in Heavy Metal magazine in 1978. You know, and that is stunning. You know, part of that is Capullo, but some of it is an astonishing uh, amount of, of smart work. Um, by the colorist, so just great. Um, we gotta go because we, you are you. This is literally the time when you start buzzing up. So uh, you should sing us out, Graham. Bye. So good. We we're talking right to the last second. <laughs>